who's this idiot? Sorry, folks. Camp Crystal Lake's closed due to quarantine. The moose outside should have told you. Please see the Kmart version of Jason over at Pinehurst for all your murder needs. Well, shit. Here comes the spooky! What's going on, Chuds and Chudettes? Here comes the Spookies back with episode 23. Today we're going to talk about Judy Greer and the new show that she stars in with a killer dog. Then we're going to head on over to Pinehurst and find out what Roy Burns is up to and what the secret is to those goddamn enchiladas. So sit back, relax, tie your buddy to a chair, and make him listen to your second favorite podcast. Hey, welcome back, everybody. How's it going? How's it going? I am your host, Cincinnati Jeff, and with me always is my very good friend, my co-host, my partner in quarantine, Nachos McWerewolf. Nachos, how you doing, buddy? How the fuck you doing this uh, terrible day? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know why? Because it's your birthday, and because it's your birthday, my present to you is that I acknowledged you. Oh, my God. Feel so important. I have. I don't even have to cover myself anymore. Many times in the most recent episodes, but uh, today I I decided to mention your name, buddy. Happy oh, birthday! Geez. Thanks, pal. Say hi to your mother for me. And uh, we also hi, have mother. A, <laughs> we also have a special guest with us uh, tonight. Uh, Nacho's friend, my friend, the house of the Phantom Bastard. Phantom Bastard, how are you doing today, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing uncommonly well. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for visiting us from the afterlife and the fires of hell, sir, to be with us tonight on this very special episode. Least I can do. You made time for me, sir. (laughs) All right. Uh, So today's episode is one that uh, House of the Phantom Bastard and myself are very, very excited about. I know Nachos uh, is, is a fan. Uh, at best, he's a fair weather fan. He's a poser. Oh, fuck your face! <laughs> this is a good. Uh, but you're I mean... gonna have two people insulting you for your birthday today. <laughs> it's just like being with my real family. God, if it wasn't quarantine, you just come over here. We would just shit directly in your mouth. Right, hold him down. <laughs> Give him his birthday cigars. So uh, today's episode, of course, is Friday the Thirteenth Part V, a new beginning. Yay! Very excited for this one, man, and 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 and, and bastard! I'm so excited because I know you're a fan of this movie too. It's my favorite Friday the Thirteenth, and I believe it's, it's yours as well. Um, it's in my top three. Um, I know we like kind of break it down a little bit more, and I'll save it for them for then. But yeah, yeah. I am I'm amped about this. Um, and this movie gets overlooked so much, it and does. you know, so it's. So it's going to be cool to just nerd out and deconstruct this with other aficionados, if you will. Oh, That's what we do. All right, before we get started, we always got a couple of talking points here. I've got two uh, fairly interesting ones. Um, uh, the Game of Thrones actors, Jason Momoa and Peter Dinklage, are set to reunite in Legendary Pictures' upcoming action horror movie, Good, Bad, and Undead. The project is based on an original idea by Damian Shannon and Mark Swift, who were the duo that wrote Freddy vs. Jason. And 
uh, the 2009 Friday the 13th. Dinklage will play Van Helsing, the last in a long line of vampire hunters, and he develops an uneasy partnership with a vampire, Jason Momoa, who has taken a vow never to kill again. Together they run a scam from town to town where Van Helsing pretends to vanquish the vampire for money. But when a massive bounty is put on the vampire's head, everything in this world of monsters and magic now becomes dangerous and starts to go after them. So it's like a buddy cop movie set in fucking like Victorian times with with vampires. Like this sounds pretty cool. Yeah, dude, you sold me. I don't think I have anything to add other than like I'm there. What could go wrong? Yeah, it sounds. But then again, I got my hopes up. Uh, nachos, I know you're the same way, uh, bastard. I don't know if you felt this way, but I, I got my hopes up so much for R.I.P.D. Oh fuck! And I got uh, down. See, I didn't black the dude in Deadpool. How could this movie go wrong? Hour and a half later, oh shit, that's what could go wrong. <laughs> see, yeah, I was, um, yeah, my job at the time didn't leave a lot of um you know, time to scour these things. So I'd heard about it from nachos, but didn't file it in the to get hyped about uh, category. But God, what a shitty movie. Yeah, it was a letdown. Like I vowed I was going to, despite coming to you live from hell, I was going to try to be positive here and um, <laughs> like not dump on everything. But as my, as my father used to say, Christ, what a shitty movie. <laughs> <laughs> all right next up uh this one's uh judy greer um i'm not sure if you guys are familiar with judy greer uh she stars greer. in this hulu uh it's like a not an anthology it's it's kind of a show where like they showcase different things it's uh hulu's into the dark good boy which is about a killer help dog so Into the Dark okay. is a monthly horror event series uh, from Jason Bloom's independent TV studio. So we know Jason Bloom, Bloomhouse, uh, that streams on Hulu. Each feature-length installment is inspired by a holiday, and next month's episode, Good Boy, is celebrating Pet Appreciation Week, which is about Maggie, a woman who gets an emotional support dog to help quell some of her anxiety, which we can all kind of understand right now. Only she finds him to be even more effective than she could have imagined because, unbeknownst to her, he kills anyone who adds stress to her life. <laughs> and this thing, this is not like a man's word. best friend dog. This is like like a tiny fucking, like, not a shih tzu, but like a little bit, like a Yorkshire Terrier fucking looking thing. Pomeranian? Looks like Jacques from, like, Lady and the Tramp. I have an emotional support <laughs> bottle. That's what's been getting me through. <laughs> it's just, I came across this and I was like, what is this shit? And I saw like the little like advertisement on Hulu and I was like, I have to see this. This sounds so ridiculous. I've got to fucking enjoy it. There's no way I couldn't. I mean, I think the only potential issue with it could be, and this is just a personal thing. I don't like it when dogs are the villain. Like, you know, and it sounds like they've set it up in a way to overcome it, but like, it sounds there's like, still a ch- there's still a chance for that to get fucked up. Like, it sounds like I the don't dog's know, like the Punisher. Yeah, and it sounds like they've handled it well, and there's gonna, they're going to use a lot of comedy in this, which they have to. Like, I really hope. So. I think 
it'd be a lot easier for this one to go off the rails though than um good bad and undead like i think you'd have to try <laughs> to um turn that into a terrible movie but they both sound i hadn't heard of either of those they both sound like they have a lot of promise and i had to scour the internet there wasn't much in the world of horror movie news uh, these past couple of weeks, but as long as this isn't like uh, Futurama, Jurassic Bark, I think I'll be okay. God, if we could just get through an episode without talking about a fucking dead dog, that would be. <laughs> a and I, I'm even mad at myself on that. <laughs> Look at the fucking big brain on Brad over here. This guy. <laughs> this guy's the king of dead dog stories. All right, uh, and then and then you see um... my trunk. <laughs> Oh boy. Uh, we can get, edit that out. Right? I was about to get serious. Uh, okay, all right, all right. I, I guess here's like um, serious face. Uh, so uh, we all know, that obviously, that the quarantine is going on uh, for COVID nineteen, and everybody's still doing the best to stay safe while the states are slowly opening up and things like that. So here comes the spooky. He does appreciate all those frontline workers at the hospitals and all the support that they provide, the people that work at the grocery stores, the gas stations, the, the restaurants and things like that, that are helping keeping us going during this time. But at the same time, we also try to stay even keeled. We don't want to get political here, but uh, we want to take a moment to talk about what happened to George Floyd and the injustice that that is. We at Here Comes the Spooky, obviously, are a bunch of just honky white guys. We cannot understand what you're going through, but believe us when we say we stand with you. 100%. And to people out there protesting, I don't think they've heard the terms patriot and heroes used enough um, for what they're doing and what they're standing up for. So I hope a few of you hear this and pass that on. Agreed. Thank, Agreed. thank you. As, as, as much as we are uh, fans of uh, fictional killers, there's at least a method to their madness. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's yeah, fun, I, but it's not real. yeah. I was de- later on, I was debating using a joke. Um, you know, even Jason Voorhees, has the decency to not murder someone in a public street in broad fucking daylight. Yes. So that's because probably... he's a competent uh, uh, human uh, up to a certain point. Then he's a zombie. Um, but undead, yeah. he doesn't eat brains. You're, Let's okay. get your shit right. My apologies, but yes, we we did we did want to uh, take a moment to to uh, at least uh, address it and say that we we stand. Yeah. Thank- uh, yeah, right. thank you, sir. All right, so then now moving on uh, back to uh, the episode itself um, and something a little less serious, but equally as important. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> My God. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, so Friday the 13th, Part V. Um, uh, where and when was the first time you saw this movie? House of the Phantom Bastard, you go. Um, I remember this vividly because it was right after I'd um, met Nachos, and he was the person who really got me into horror. Like, I don't know, just as a kid, it never, like, registered with me. I thought it was kind of dumb. I didn't enjoy being scared. And Nachos really led me down that path. And right after he'd introduced me to it, 
Um, I saw it on Joe Bob Briggs. Um, <laughs> four stars. Four stars. Yeah. And, like, I I was hoping it would come here. Like, um, I ordered a Joe Bob Briggs shirt on Etsy to wear for this and hadn't arrived yet, which would just be a great touch for this non-visual medium. But um, <laughs> right. Going that extra mile. Like, um, if you guys don't know what a like, shirt is, it's got two holes on the side and one <laughs> at the top for your head. <laughs> is that what you've been calling them? No, like... Calling him yeah. tunics like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, Joe Bob Briggs is a national treasure, and you two are more connected to the horror community than I am. I don't think he gets celebrated even in the horror community enough. He's getting he's oh, getting his his getting lately. his due now. Lately, he's on. There's a streaming service that we plug every once in a while called Shutter. Yeah, that's I I love it. That's why yeah. I have it. And Joe Bob's Drive-In is just fantastic. I think they just did Cannibal Holocaust the other evening. Oh, yeah, in Dead Heat. Whoa, I was like, whoa, what a great... Yeah, like, so between Nachos and Joe Bob, like, the thing that nobody credits Joe Bob for, like, you know, he never pretended these movies were the pinnacle of cinematic achievement. It would be stupid to say that they are. But he celebrated them for the fun part of them, and he never, like, made the... The character he played was stupid, obviously. But he never made the audience feel stupid for liking this. And um, celebrating the fun part of these movies, and, you know, kind of the dark side of... You know, the safe dark side of our nature that it appeals to. So, he deserves to be on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and... So there's my Joe Bob Briggs um, segment that I wouldn't have had to waste your time with if the goddamn shirt had arrived. But um, so yeah, Joe Bob TNT. Nice. Uh, not just think, you, buddy. Uh, Joe Bob's pretty celebrated. I have a Joe Bob tramp stamp. So <laughs> uh, there's a really cool Joe Bob shirt uh, with like the picture, like the trailer and the sign from like when he did the 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 Monster Vision or whatever, and. Uh, um, it's got like his review on the side of like his own TV oh, the show, breakdown. like the breakdown, oh, like nice. how, many saw, how many stars you get, how what kind of foos were on there? Yeah, decapitation foo. Yeah, hot dog foo, like right? shit like that. Art barking. <laughs> so nachos. Uh, when where was the first oh, time yeah. you saw this, buddy? Oh shit! Real talk is either at the Atomic Scarecrow's house. Uh, or it was either USA Up All Night Up or Monster All Vision. It, it one of the above. I th- you know what? It was fucking USA Up All Night because I remember Up I referenced this last time. It's uh, um, it was like Rhonda Shear was trying to get like her hair done by Jason or something. Oh yeah, I remember that. We did talk about that. It was real stupid, but you know it's it's fucking USA Up All Night. What, what do you expect? Up all night. That's right. I also like when Gilbert Godfrey would sub in too. Because <laughs> you know he has the voice of an angel that deep throated a road flare, so <laughs> which we which we see in this movie. <laughs> Rip Vinny, not, not, actually... not nice nicely tied together. Um, Look at that. Actually, you, how yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah. You take the wheel. We'll be uh, back here if you need <laughs> us. Um, uh, so for myself, first time I saw this, so this is this is actually interesting, which is makes this uh, why this movie is so unique and special to me. In 1988-1989, I was born in 85, so I was three, four years old, but I distinctly remember this. This was the first 
horror movie I had ever seen. Now, I I was a very small child, right, three or four, and I didn't see the movie itself in its entirety, but I happened to catch the scene where Eddie goes to check on Tina and finds that her eyes have been gouged out before Jason dispatches him against the tree, right? I, I just, I remember him rolling her over and, like, her eyes were missing, and I remember the scene right before it with the shears, and it just, I screamed at the TV, and my mom promptly whisked me out of the room, and I just remember being terrified. And, and it, I, that memory always stuck with me. And, it, and when I started getting into horror movies, my mom showed me a bunch, like when I was obviously much older than that, about around 11 or so. We start, you know, started watching certain ones, like uh, 11 or 12, like Scream was coming out and things like that, but I'd already seen other things. <clears throat> but it wasn't until I was 13 when I came across the movie in its entirety and I saw that scene again and I was like, this is the movie. This is the fucking movie. This is the very first horror movie scene I've ever seen in my entire life. And it just struck a chord with me and I never forgot it. And I was so excited when I came across it. I was like, yes, this is it. I always thought that I was maybe imagining it, but now I'm not. And I've never been right since. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I remember it. I remember everything about it. There was naked people, and I thought that he had done it with needle nose pliers, which didn't make sense now, but at the time I was a child, so I wasn't <laughs> sure what that tool was. Right. No, that was, that was the thing that stuck with me when I first saw it, and it was my descent into, you know, horror movies, and just like, wow, this is like, <laughs> like, so, you don't see this in other movies, right? and, you know. So this is like, uh the the rational part of me says I shouldn't like this, but the part of me that likes fun is like I'm all in. Um, <laughs> this is this is this is just what makes it. It's it's just it's traditional, but sort of in an untraditional way. Yeah. Uh, I this got a fun is... little. T- Go ahead. Oh, oh, all right. So I think it's John LaJoy, the musician. All right. You guys ever see the League? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. All right. It's the dude who plays Taco. He has a song. He has a band. It's called uh How's Woofy? What's that line in Terminator 2 when they're asking about the dog? It's like, how's Woofy? It's like, Mom, I hear Woofy in the background. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with Woofy? Okay. So he has a band called What's Wrong with Woofy, and they do a song all about Deborah Sue Voorhees and her giant water balloon tits, and how, like, he, it's like, it's a very serious song about a very goofy subject, and I I don't, I can't tell you the name of it, but definitely give it a Google. I'll check it out. It's worth a chuckle. Yeah. And we're back. So this is not a video nasty. This is not on our Hello Nasty list. <laughs> um, directed by Danny Steinman, um, who we, I, I definitely will be talking about uh, later on in, in this episode. Uh, was also, uh, he directed a few movies. Um, Savage Streets with Linda Blair. Dude, uh, Bush is massive in that movie. He had his he had his name removed from it uh, simply because they they botched it and edited it to hell. But it was there was a movie called The Unseen with Barbara Bach. She uh, she was in uh, the Spy Who Loved Me as uh, Roger Moore's love interest. She's also uh, Ringo Starr's wife. So I did not know that. Definitely check that out. He had his name struck from the credits, but he wrote and directed it. Uh, and then of course uh, the infamous High Rise, which was uh, a porno, nineteen seventy three porno, which we're going to talk about later. Um. So let's meet our casualties, okay? Uh, as with most Friday the 13th, especially anything after Part 3, you have a very, very robust cast. Um, I went through and, and just handpicked some of the ones that I thought were worth mentioning instead of going through all of them, because there's a lot. 
a lot. So I think I got like uh, nine or ten here. Um, So first up, we've got uh, Corey Feldman, who plays a young Tommy Jarvis. Right? He was. uh, We all know who Corey Feldman is. Uh, Any of you else listening should obviously be well aware. Obviously, then the Goonies, the Lost Boys, Stand by Me, the Burbs, etc. He was in a great. uh, uh, He was in um, uh, uh, Gremlins. Uh, of course, there's an awesome vampire movie that's about a half hour long that Joe Dante directed oh <laughs> with Tony God. Todd. <laughs> you should check out that fucking trash piece. I real talk. I'll say like Corey Feldman is just in your most iconic 80s. Like if you grew up in the 80s, if you don't know who Corey Feldman is, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You know, I think he was also was he in License to Drive with Corey? They were in a couple movies. Together. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Corey's yeah. License. Um, not zapped. I think that was Scott Bale. Anyway. <clears throat> uh, so we've got uh, John Shepard, who plays the older Tommy Jarvis. Uh, he was in a movie called Deep Cover. Uh, and then also he was in Down Periscope, which is a... Shut Really? Oh, which is a good, fun movie. Yeah, he, he's part... He's not on the sub. He's he's part of the uh, the other crew uh, of the of the Straight Lace guys. I, I saw that in the theaters. That's a good um, movie, man. Yeah, I was one of seven people who did, and it's an under—it's an underrated gem. It is fantastic. It really. I always is. get that mixed up with McHale's Navy because they came out at the same time. It's like a similar premise. So uh, uh, Bruce yeah. Campbell's Down Periscope is uh, that is Kelsey Grammer, and I think Bruce Campbell's in that one. No, no, he's in McHale's Navy with uh, um, Arnold. Tom Arnold. Yay. Tom I think Arnold. that's Tom Arnold in the Kales Navy. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. Uh, mid-90s Navy movie aside, um, Melanie Kinneman, who plays Pam Roberts. I could not find much more on her, but she's worth mentioning because I talk about her later. Um, she's a smoke. Shavar Ross, who plays Reggie the Reckless Winter. Uh, he was mm. in Different Strokes. Uh, he played, I think, it's, is it Weasel in The Family Matters? He's Eddie's buddy? Yes. It was, uh, yeah, and because it, it was, he's, who was, there was a bad, there was a bad guy kid that was friends with, anyway, so he was like, because Waldo, already, oh my god, I need to shut the fuck up so you can get through this list. Go ahead, buddy, <laughs> keep going, otherwise we're going to be here forever. Uh, Richard Young, who played Dr. Matthew Letter, he um, is in the opening from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He's the one that gives Indiana Jones his yeah. hat. He was also in Ice Pirates uh, from the 80s, which was a pretty big movie. I like that movie. I heard that's crazy. Uh, so did you... Um, I don't know if you saw this. Um, like, I was just looking some of them up so I wouldn't be completely silent and worthless on this. Um like he grew really disillusioned with acting and got into photography, and he also like was a cameraman on this documentary about the Bosnian War. Really? Holy yeah. Shit. And like in the, I did. I have not seen the documentary. If anybody knows where to find it, I really want to. And I just jotted this down really quick. So if I have the details wrong, please forgive me. I'm not trying to trivialize it, but. A family got separated during the Bosnian War. It was supposed to be like a very short, like made for like, you know, a segment on a news show. And he invested in it to help help these people get reunited in war torn Bosnia. I I know that's 
I might have some details wrong on that, but I swear to God the base of it is true, and I really, really want to see it. I'm pretty sure that's called an American tale. I've seen that. Yeah, no? Am I thinking something else? Anyway. The story of the mouse governments. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. Um, okay. <laughs> Nachos. Uh, Dick Weehan plays Roy Burns. Uh, again, he comes into play um, later on in my rant. Um, but what a, what a fantastic guy. Uh, we met him personally. Uh, really nice guy. He he signed my Friday the 13th Part 5 mask when we met him at Horror Hound uh, last year. And it was great because I came up to him. And he, you know, he was being polite as, as he would have been to probably anybody else. But he looked at my mask and he goes, whoa, he like stopped. He goes, you have the right mask. You've got my mask. I go, well, of course I've got your mask. It's a part five mask. You're part five Jason. Like, I'm, yeah. And he's like, nobody else this weekend has had one. I'm like, that seems lazy. And so we like had like a little bit of a rapport of a, of a, go, of a back and forth. And then he's like, check out my, uh. My sign behind me, they got, like, the names and pictures of the actors and actresses when they, like, you know, at their signing booth. And I go, yeah, I see your name spelled wrong. He goes, yeah, you fucking caught it, but the chumps who run this thing did. <laughs> wow, that is just, that is just piss poor work all around. Like, right? uh, well done on you for the correct mask, but everybody else and um, Roy Burns. Yeah, I was I was hoping you that had NECA, one job. No shit. <laughs> I was hoping that NECA was going to have their uh, part five Roy Burns out because I uh, love getting those signed. Uh, but they did. Yeah. So I, w- I went with the mask. I'd had the mask for several years. There was a guy uh, called like Creation X uh, that has a store on Facebook that sells them. And dude, uh, good dude does good shit. It's good work. It's quality. It's it's fairly inexpensive. It's like 30, 35 bucks for a for a mask, a movie quality mask. And. Uh, I was like, hey, just if you have it, just the part five. And he's, he sent me a message back. He's like, yeah, nobody asked for the part five. I have a lot of those. So I'm like, I'll take every fucking one you got if I if I can afford it. Let's, let's have it go, buddy. So uh, all right. I, go ahead, buddy. Uh, when I caught up with Cincinnati Jeff at Whorehound, and he was talking to Dick, and I'm just kind of like, oh, man, they spelled your name wrong. And he just turns and looks at, like that fucking Roy look. He goes, I know, right? I'm just like, we're good. Okay. <laughs> nah, I looked right at him. I didn't. You talking to me, Sheriff? I thought you were talking to me, Sheriff. <laughs> like, I'm not a sheriff. But, uh, so okay. also Tom Morga, who actually plays Jason Voorhees in this movie. Uh, so Tom is unique in the horror community because I believe he's the only individual to have the distinction of playing uh, Jason. He also played Leatherface, Leatherface in the bridge scene of Chainsaw 2. And he plays Michael Myers in the first half of Halloween 4 before he was replaced. Yeah. Um, what was he replaced? If you're saving it for another podcast, you can uh, edit this, or I'll shut up. But. Well, they, so they have a they have a skit on it in uh, in Family Family Guy, <laughs> where Tom Tucker oh, comes yeah. in and replaces him. Uh, I forget the guy's name. Um, he's a fairly famous uh, like like uh, like stuntman kind of guy, and I just can't think of his name right now. But he was he was replaced halfway through. Nachos, do you remember who it is? It's not Wilbur. Uh... So and so, P. Wilbur. I'm thinking because I think the dude uh, who's in four is also in six. Don't quote me on that. It's been a minute. Anyway, I, I don't fucking know. I'm just talking on my ass right now. All right. What else is new? Right. <laughs> um. So what else we got here? Um. Uh, last couple. Uh, Mark uh, Venturini, 
who plays Vic Faden. Uh, he was in he was in Return of the Living Dead. The real villain of the movie. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> and uh, last up here, worth mentioning was uh, oh, and sorry, uh, it just came up. Uh, George P. Wilbur is who replaced Tom Morgan. There we go. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and I'm pretty last... sure he. Yeah. John Schenk plays Michael Myers in five, and then he's back in part six. Both versions. So the last one on the list here, Debbie Sue Voorhees plays Tina. And I love this because her her actual name is Voorhees, spelled just like Jason. Um, but obviously no relation of any factor whatsoever. Uh, she was in another movie called Appointment, to, uh, Appointment with Fear. And... She is directing and acting in a fan-made film of her creation called 13 Fanboy, which is set like in an alternate uh, sort of reality where uh, a fanboy of the Friday the 13th films is stalking her as well as other stars and, and actors and actresses of these movies. So I believe Kane Hodder is in it and uh, like several. I, I think uh, T- John Shepard is in this as well. Um, I know that uh, uh, Vincent DeSanti has a role in it. The guy who directed oh. Never Hike Alone. Um, so this is it, it's it's a it's a neat thing. I don't know how far they are in their production, uh, and, and of course, or the filming whatsoever. But uh, I am excited to see this for sure. Did she yeah. go to Did Adrian you... King's story? I actually think Adrian King's in it too. I'll buy that. Uh, go ahead, bastard. No, it, do you know what she did after her like big run in movies ended? She was a teacher. She was a, yeah, a teacher and she lost her job and look, your past shouldn't define you unless you do something truly horrible, like, you know, like murder, rape, work for the Minneapolis police, whatever. And that does not. (laughs) So I don't think, I don't think, um, showing your boobs, um, should disqualify you from teaching. And I'm going to go one further. I remember what I was like in high school, and I know a lot of teachers. If you can maintain control of a classroom of teenage boys with a, with that in a your past and very visible, you need to write a book on teaching and be sure. given a genius grant. So I can imagine it'd be hard though to be, let's say, a, a, a prepubescent or even like high school teacher. Where you've got a just smoking body. It's been noted that you were a Playboy bunny in like Houston or Dallas at like a Playboy club. And then you, you're you flaunting it in this movie. And she looks great. I mean, it's fappable. And like, can, can you, can you control, can, can you control a teenage boy with their hormones? Like they're going to continue to make jokes at your expense. So I'm never, I'm never, I'm not yeah. obviously not sure on the details of what happened. If it was a mutual thing or, or, you know, maybe the best they could have done was maybe move her into more of an administrative role, which doesn't really help if you actually want to be a teacher. So it's, it's, it sucks, but I agree. The past should not define you. And if she was capable of maintaining her job and doing it well, they should just. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she, I looked into this. She teaches journalism now in college and um, she has a blog. It's linked to her Wikipedia page, which I was reading a couple nights ago. She's a fantastic writer. And I and I didn't know she was doing that movie, but I'm really amped to see it now. That 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 could rival um, Never Hike Alone because the talent is there at the base. I, so. I can't wait to see it. By the I way, was, did was, see Never Hike Alone? 
Um, yeah. To prep for this today, I've been indulging in all things Jason. Watched the movie. Finally watched Never Hiked a- Hike Alone. Loved that. I played the video game for the first time in months. Um, <laughs> set it at Pinehurst. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, no. So, but yeah, the highlight of that was definitely Never Hike Alone. It's Thank you one. for the heads up on that. Hey, not it wasn't us. That's all. That's all. Vincent, man, he he made a hell of a movie. I also was researching some Deborah Sue Voorhees articles, but with one hand on the keyboard. Hey, <laughs> hey you are correct, sir. It's <laughs> uh, tearing uh, my dick out of time. So, uh, released in March uh, 1985, this movie, uh, we, we've already covered a couple movies from this year, but it definitely had uh, some interesting competition for the year. Um, Reanimator, Day of the Dead. Classic. Return of the Living Dead. Classic. Classic. Silver Bullet. Motherfucking classic. Fright Night for Classic. You know, I had never seen that, like, uh, like in one setting or not horribly edited for TV. And I was, was, I, yeah, like, you know, to try to keep from weighing 500 pounds by the time this is over, I take a walk, a real (laughs) long walk early in the morning. And, you know, I'll usually start off with the podcast. And with Fright Night, I heard you all go on about that. But shit, this sounds a lot better than I remember it for Such the you know, sh- yeah, for the shittily edited uh, TV version. And watched it like a couple days ago. Yeah, all right, that was a masterpiece. Oh, um, great, easily the best non Dracula, easily the best non Dracula vampire movie ever. Agreed. Ooh, and I I put that I I put it in front of Blade. We also had uh, Nightmare on Elm Street two. Classic. Uh, a personal favorite of Nacho's and mine, uh, The Howling 2, Your Sister's a Werewolf. Oh, my fuck. Best Not fucking so movie title of all time, hands down. Hands down. Hands down. Uh, House, eh. uh, which was interesting because that it's a Sean Cunningham movie. Uh, Cat's Eye. Like, Phenomena. Ooh, that's a movie. Oh, oh Phenomena's my shit. And Life Force. Man. <clears throat> what, what is her fucking name? It's like... Matilda May. Just check that movie out. Oh, okay. Anyway. Yeah. Beers. Yeah. <laughs> for guys. So for how adults. to watch uh, this? Uh, it was on LaserDisc. Um, something that I found interesting. Now I can't. I could not find any other information, but I found one date that this was released on VHS in 1994. I don't know if it was released before that. So I'm wondering if Laserdisc was the only way to get it on home video for a long time. I could be wrong. It wouldn't make sense. But no. I, the, the 1994 one was the odd hockey mask cover that never appears in any of the movies. You know what I'm talking about? It, it, should I go grab the box? Just Yeah, because well, yeah, the listeners can see it. <laughs> uh, the you, listeners, I'm with the modern guest. Yeah, with my hypothetical Joe Bob Briggs shirt, we are killing it in this um, these visual non-visual gags. medium. Uh, uh, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Apologize for the for your ears. Um, and then there were there it is right there. Yeah, I had never noticed that. Like, oh, it's the best. You Wait, had one job. Neca <laughs> even made oh, a, a Jason that that comes with that mask. What's crazy is with this one in particular is, is haunted by bad artwork because Paramount is lazy. 
There are several DVDs you can get this movie on. 2001 DVD, a 2009 deluxe DVD with a bunch of special features. Um, and that was the start of having really bad artwork. Uh, you like I remember on part six in the back, there was the picture of Jason was Roy. Oh, it's all <laughs> fucked up. Um, on my uh, DVD set, when you go to the menu for part five, the chevrons, it's Roy's mask, but the chevrons are red. And then if you go to the part six menu, it's it's Roy. Uh, so there's also several Blu-rays, which also suffer from the bad artwork. There's the 2013 10 box set, which is actually really good and has all 12 films um, released on Blu-ray. The only time that's ever happened. Uh, then there was the 2014 double feature with part VI. Uh, and then the 2018 Ultimate Collection, which only has the first eight films. Uh, so the Paramount only films. Uh, all are really good uh, Blu-rays. Uh, definitely recommend those for sure. Tons of special features. It's really weird how Paramount puts all this effort in these special features for featurettes, commentaries, all these making of stuff like that, like behind the scenes crap. But they, they just like just you should hold a contest, Paramount, and just it, it's a non-paid fucking contest. You pick the winner because any true Friday the 13th fan would fucking love to design artwork for these and then have you feature them. Just, just do it. It's, it's stupid that you don't. Just yeah. There's so many yeah. talented people out there. No, I just want to know the line of thinking on that yeah. because, um, you know, I know these movies don't get a lot of respect, but um, these have to have. It's not the MCU, but surely to God, these movies have grossed hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh, and that warrants the effort of you know getting the basic art right. This was a two million dollar movie, and I believe it made. 22 million in the box office alone. Yeah. Yeah. They like, did, the... yeah. Like, did someone get screamed at over this or um, the opposite? just a whatever. Mancuso or... called Steinman uh, and told him like, Hey man, your opening weekend's fantastic. It's like the golden days. Now, granted uh, it, it fell off later due to the whole, it's not Jason thing getting spread around. Plus you had some pretty heavy contenders being released. Spoilers, man. Spoilers. <laughs> well, I just mean for the artwork. Did someone like see that oh. on the shelf and go like, wait a minute. You had one job. No, cause the <laughs> ultimate collection, which is the most recent one that has the eight uh -huh. films, nachos and I own it. And the artwork on the cover is the worst I've ever fucking seen Jason look. Like, look at the generic bullshit. It's just, his mask is so big in proportion to his body. He's got the fucking Roy chevrons. Oh, he fucking does. Yeah. And he's just, what a, it's so bad, dude. It looks like, it looks uh, like 99 CG quality. It's, it's just, it's piss poor. Oh, yeah. It's like the old um, Full Moon Studio. Like, anytime you see one of their covers and it's done in, like, the early thousands, it's on par with that. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, uh, no, I see. You boys ready to horse around with some maniacs? Oh, Let's yeah. Horse around. All right. Fucking maniac. Horse around with some maniacs. So, a note before we begin, uh, for all you listeners out there, we are playing a drinking game during this uh, review where every time someone dies, does drugs, or has sex, we take a drink. So please, if you're working, play along. Um, if you're driving, if, play along. Play along. And, and if you're if you want to watch this in your own time, there are three more triggers that we are not going to attempt because hopefully we'll be kind of coherent at, at the end of this. Um, <laughs> this was this was the, this, yeah, was this the Phantom Bastard's suggestion. So we yeah went with this. It. 
yeah, this could de- yeah, this could degenerate uh, really quickly. But I tried this. And I hope it does. Yeah, tr- I would not recommend trying this with anything other than a fairly light, watery beer. But three additional triggers specific to the movie. Every time Ethel swears at Junior, take a drink. <laughs> every time, um, every time Tommy hallucinates, take a drink. And every time someone is grossly incompetent at their job, take a drink. <laughs> it's it's doable, but whew, don't make any plans afterwards. Yeah, yeah. You have yeah, to that's... play that round with a gin bucket. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our movie gets right the fuck down to business immediately, as which is par for the course for most Friday the 13th. Starting with a young Tommy Jarvis walking through the woods in a serious thunderstorm, armed with only a yellow raincoat and a flashlight. He comes to a clearing in an old cemetery where he walks up to Jason Voorhees' grave. But before he can decide what he's going to do next, Tommy is interrupted by Neil and Les, who come stumbling into the graveyard. Tommy goes and hides in the bushes while these two idiots descend upon Jason's grave with shovels. And they begin to dig him up because they want to get a look at the main man. They are yeah. way too excited about this. Yeah. Um, who was the character who had the trucker type hat? What was his name? Uh, which, which did he die first or second? Uh, second. Less. Did That's he? Less. Does he look like Bill Paxton to anybody else? Yes. Okay. okay just wanted yeah, to make like, like if you had to get a Pax dog stunt double, call that dude. <laughs> no. Um, God rest his soul. Uh, Madam Bastard uh, pointed that out to me, and now I can't unsee it. And now you can't. Also. Um, when you wear a uh, yellow rain slicker um, at night around the grave of an unstoppable maniac you're not entirely sure is dead, and you're the smartest person in this equation far and away. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're still yeah, yeah, yeah. Where was where were the Darwin Awards in this universe? Um, <laughs> So uh, they dig out what is likely the most shallow grave outside of a rape victim buried in Central Park on an episode of SVU. And start <laughs> Thank pr- you. Noticed that, too. Start to pry the lid of the coffin open. Uh, as Scooby-Doo and or Scooby-Dum and Scooby-Dumber lean in close, <laughs> we see a nice shot of Jason fully laid out in the attire that we've, that, that we've always come to know him in uh, with mask covered in earthworms. Unbeknownst to our two winners here, JV has been fully buried with two weapons for some reason, which and he uses to quickly. Yeah, I think that the would crew. be the yeah that would be the first drink when someone is grossly incompetent at your job. <laughs> trigger. So, are we drinking for these because it's yep. a dream sequence? Oh yeah, third okay. death. Okay. So okay. I have so. I have I have a pause for drink every time. So when I say it, we'll drink. Uh, so Neil gets a machete to the stomach. Drink. We got death number one. Neil squeals when he gets stabbed in the guts. Fun fact, on Amazon Prime, they had him, his name was fucking Brody in the subtitles. All right, moving on. Uh, and Les gets an ice pick to the neck. Drink. All right, death number two. Les ont in un poronga and pick a glacier. That's French for it. Les got stabbed in, uh, stabbed in the guts with an ice pick. 
I bet you guys didn't think you were going to learn anything today. And yes, I butchered that. <laughs> Thank you for teaching language. us. Uh, also, let me teach I've, you something. He got stabbed in the neck, not the guts. Yeah, I never would have guessed you weren't dude. a native speaker. Yeah, um, you, you keep right. your guts in your I'm throat? I'm like Muzzy over here. <laughs> <laughs> you too can learn French. Oui, oui, poo-poo. So all this is happening while, while Tommy is just watching from from his bushes. He gets out. Excuse me. Jason then gets out of the grave, dressed as we've last seen him in part five, complete with mask and all, and grabs his favorite weapon from Neil's stomach before coming after Tommy. As Jason approaches, he begins to raise his machete as Tommy is screaming, No! No! Before we have a sudden cutaway, which reveals it was all just a dream, as the now 16-year-old Tommy, with a 30-year-old man's face, wakes up. <laughs> T-Jar is yeah. straight shitting himself in those bushes. He's like, <laughs> no, he, no, I thought he reminded me of the world from the kid from The Shining. Like, we're one step away from Red Rom! Red Rom! But, uh... <laughs> So uh, as Tommy again wakes up in the back of the Unger Institute of Mental Health van that is transporting him to Pinehurst Halfway House, uh, we get a halfway decent scene where the, the uh, Billy the orderly is in the fucking passenger seat just looking at a Playboy. <laughs> yeah, so for you younger viewers, um, bef- before um, porn was online, you had to get it in magazines. I believe uh, Kyle Kinane called that analog porn. <laughs> and um, that dude's fucking great. Yeah, so I have a question. We all came of age in the 80s. Um, like, did anybody once see somebody, not even at a job, but like somewhere out in public, like, Oh, I want to see. I want to see some naked women. Thank God, I've got Hustler from you know March '83 to '85. Here, variety Never. certainly is the spice of life. Um, Outs- outside of like this a happens bathroom, in movies. Yeah, outside of like, like a bathroom at like a like a mechanic's place. Uh, <laughs> right, and not like an auto zone, like 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 a privately owned one. Uh, no, yeah, but that's still that like shit. not in public. Like, yeah. oh well, I'm on the job. No never reason not like to have a raging stop. erection right now. Um, Just reading fucking Playhouse, Playpen, or whatever the fuck. It's like, oh shit, I forgot what Tracy Lords looks like naked because I haven't looked in 15 minutes. Let's just pull out that document. Oh, I'm sorry if your kids could see your kidneys. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> so as this right as this scene gets done, then we roll into the fucking credits. This was a busy intro, but I love it. No, I thought it was really well done. Um I thought the transition was awesome. Um and I'll talk more about this later. Like I thought Tommy did a great like adult Tommy, 30-year-old, 16-year-old Tommy did a great job in this movie. Like they're usually not known for their, um, you know, quality of acting, but yeah. you know, dude spent time in mental institutions and studied people with PTSD. And I think it shows right from the beginning that he is carrying the scars of the previous movie. And that is going to be an issue later. Yep. Tommy is fucking intense in this movie that dude has no chill so <laughs> yeah. I think he says like 24 whole lines and the, the reason we're yeah. obviously going to be making the joke is because uh 1984 part four uh this is part five this is actually set in 89 so it is four years later um tommy should be 16 at this point from when he was 12 in part four but he very much 
has the face of a 30 year old man and the body of a fucking 25 year old fucking god. So <laughs> that, was, that was a real hard five years on that. <laughs> Did he do four years at Leavenworth? Like fucking breaking rocks? Like I just don't get where he's been. But anyway, moving puberty on. Hit him like a puberty hit him like a fucking scud missile, dude. <laughs> As the van is pulling into Pinehurst, we get a, clip, a quick glimpse of the residents that live there. And there's a spot where Joey and Robin are walking, and Joey says, that must be the new kid. Uh, and I, it's, it's minor, but it just fucking made me laugh. I watched it like three times. The subtitles just label him as, woman, that must be the new kid. <laughs> Everybody else gets yeah, a name, but when Joey talks the very first time, his very first fucking line of dialogue, it just says, woman. <laughs> oh, Let's make sure make this point? character gets no dignity whatsoever, right. even um, in, down to the barest of details. So, Should I make my redaction now or save that for later? Yeah, go ahead. All right, so um, a couple episodes in general. I refer to the guy Joey. I think his name's like help, help me out here, Joseph. What now? Dominic Brasia. Dom- uh, Dominic Brasia. I've uh, affectionately referred to him as a kid fucker because I thought he in fact fucked Corey Haim when that is not actually the case. There's no um, evidence to hold up on that. So even though he's dead now, and I'm sure he doesn't give a fuck what some moron from the Midwest is saying about his, you know, uh, Joey, you're not a kid fucker. Oh, he's dead. Yeah. He's dead. Uh, Just so we get off topic, but just while we're covering it. So in his documentary, Truth, by Corey Feldman, he outs all the people who he claims – sexually abused him and his friend, late actor Corey Haim. Uh, it was on the reality show The Two Corys that Haim had first told Feldman about the assault he had suffered at the hands of a man while filming Lucas in 1985. However, he never actually named the culprit. In the years after, especially the ones following his death, several names were thrown into the mix with Charlie Sheen emerging as the most notable name. Another person who was caught in this storm and is the one who was also uh, used as a reference in the documentary is Dominic Brasia. Brasilla came to light when he first mentions Sheen's name in relation to the sexual abuse suffered by Corey Haim as a teenager on either his radio show or in an interview. I'm not sure which one. Uh, He did tell the National Enquirer that Haim told him that he and Sheen smoked pot and had sex. Sheen denied that the claims and even sought legal action against the Enquirer. The real turn in the story came when Corey Haim's mother came to Sheen's defense and instead blamed Brasia for the whole thing while in her doc, uh, appearance on the Dr. Oz show. She said that Brasia was the one who had assaulted Corey while on the set of Lost Boys. Brasia denied these claims and drew the comparisons, especially in the age between himself and the man who had been hinted at before. It was also assumed by many that Mrs. Haim had been paid off by Sheen to deflect the blame for him. And again, all this is speculation. This is all hearsay. I have no evidence here. This is all I could find. Uh, But she was not the only one to have pointed the finger at Dominic. A man named Greg Harrison also came forward and accused the actor uh, as the offender of Corey Haim, while also claiming that Feldman was also involved as the orchestrator. So everybody seems to be playing the blame game here with Joey. Uh, and we, we've we talked about it once or twice, so we just kind of want to set the record straight here that we're not really sure what, what happened. And moving on. Back to... Yeah. <laughs> Dominic. This fucking ass right. all over the place. Uh, so when they arrive, Billy, who is the orderly from the Unger Institute with the porn fetish, uh, tries to get Tommy out of the van, uh, but he is extremely reluctant and shy until Pam comes to introduce herself. 
Yeah, the, the, the trauma victim isn't receptive to the negligent <laughs> pervert um, paying attention to him for the first time. Uh, who knew? Dude uh, reminded me of Waluigi. <laughs> nice. So as the uh, van crew leave, uh, Pam takes Tommy inside the Pinehurst house to meet Doc, you, Dr. Matthew Letter. The doc tells Tommy about uh, Pinehurst and all the people that live there. He explains that Pinehurst is different from other state institutions, that instead of having guards and fences, everyone is free to be their own boss and go about their own business, but also pitching in with the chores, and they are preparing these kids to re-enter society and start a new life. But Tommy is just not fucking have like he's just not paying attention he's just fucking looking off into space so pan then sends tommy to his new room while she stays behind to discuss uh tommy's patient his history with matt hey nachos you got something yeah i actually uh it was different on my cut i was when matt was talking to tommy he tells him you lost today kid but it doesn't mean you have to like it then he puts his fedora on him (laughs) it must be the european cut that's a joke it's, uh, <laughs> from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's a reference-based humor joke. No, I'll laugh, la- I'll laugh uh, later okay, when, no. I, when I get it. I'll laugh. Later oh, later. okay. So, right. um, one should I save? <laughs> should I save the missed opportunity here for the end, or discuss it now? Uh, what's the missed opportunity? Hey, yeah. When he said no guards, like. Because clearly this is not going to work out well for anybody, and um, I'll get, like, one of the things I really like about this movie is there are some things that are different about other Friday the 13th movies, and it's not just going through the motions. And I thought it would have been a really cool change, because Jason is generally slaughtering unarmed, defenseless uh, teenagers. And this would have been a really good chance to give him someone who could actually fight back. And maybe not be an equal adversary, but, you know, get in a shot or two now, you know, before, um, you know, the inevitable happens. Sure. Yeah, I'll tell you, so, it wasn't the police. <laughs> so as Tommy is in his room <clears throat> unpacking, he stops to check the picture of Tracy, Trish, and Gordon Jarvis from Part 4 before unpacking oh, a... my boy! <laughs> before... <laughs> I love Gordon <laughs> Holler out to the dog. Gordon, Smartest dog, dog in any fucking horror movie. Dude's like, uh, Jason's here. Tommy Trish, we're pals, but fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> so he moved Tommy, on. He got a new figure. He uh, unpacks a large pocket knife and hides it under his mattress. As he continues to put his clothes away <laughs> in the closet. Yeah, um, perhaps the guard should have checked him for that. Right? Um, well, they got no guards there. It, that reminds me, yeah, when, he's, when Matt said it, it reminded me of the lines from Life. Have you ever seen that movie with with, with uh, Eddie Murphy? We got no offenses here at Camp Eight. We don't need no offenses here at Camp Eight. We got ourselves <laughs> the gig line. <laughs> so um, as he continues to put his clothes away, a uh, and he moves to the closet, a large spider descends from the ceiling before Reggie the Reckless jumps out, laughing hysterically because he's just scared a like you said trauma patient. It's probably a fucking yeah. great idea, by the way. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> and one who's significantly larger with you, um, <clears throat> right? Growing up, a little scrawny guy, um, you learn pretty quickly who you can fuck with and who you don't, and <laughs> and until then the. <laughs> Um, 16-year-old with the body of a 25-year-old Olympi- <laughs> Olympic athlete. Right? 
Yeah. So as Reggie what could possibly go wrong, as Reggie was like kiting in there, he's like, you know what? This is going to be great. Like this, there's no way this could end badly. And then he just gets fucking stabbed. It's like, I didn't think this through. You know, right. it's just come on, Reggie. So uh, Reggie continues to berate Tommy and simultaneously bragging that nothing scares him. He's Reggie the Reckless. As Tommy then bends over and puts on this alien mask. I guess it's an alien. Uh, from his bag and scares the shit out of Reggie. Yes, dude. I love it. Yeah, if only Jason had seen that and maybe taken more appropriate level revenge. Um, So many, so many drunk and naked teenagers would still be alive. And this was, this was a really cool scene because it's very much a callback to Corey Feldman's character and all the, the special effects and, and mask and props that he had in part four, which they don't normally do a lot of, uh, continuity in these movies it's it's no. loose at best so this was a really good attempt at 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 making these two movies connect i love that whole part reggie's like yeah man i'm from the hood and where, where we fucking come from we're hard as shit it's like bitch you used to hang out with urkel shut the fuck up you have no street cred. <laughs> your best friend is waldo <laughs> It's a black guy named Waldo. I'm sorry. That's not hard. (laughs) You never even find the motherfucker. You majored in astronomy. (laughs) So, um, Reggie watches in amazement as Tommy unpacks more of these monster masks, these, these, like, these different style masks from his bag. Uh, which I'm like, hey, I've only seen him put away one set of clothes, but the guy's got four masks. And he tells Reggie Priority. that, of course, Priorities. he made them all. <laughs> uh, Reggie asks Tommy if he's the new nut in the house, which is just very appropriate. Before he explains that he doesn't live there, uh, but he, uh, he comes with his grandpa, Gramps, uh, or George, who works on the grounds before they are interrupted by the police arriving at the house. It's a busy Gotta morning go. for Tommy. <laughs> so with, no, all, shit. with all the gang standing by, Sheriff Tucker now who gets out of the cop car, starts talking to Matt and tells him that he found Eddie and Tina from Pinehurst trespassing and playing a game of in and out on the Hubbard's farm next door. <laughs> I saw that look. Nachos just looked up, gave me just a stare, and then was like back down to my business. <laughs> yeah. Let's... Oh, I'm smiling. So, I got a bit. Did... That's, a, that's a joke. It's a joke. It's humor. It's funny. You should laugh. <laughs> so sing. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, were they, were Eddie and um, Tina, were they in there for, like, uh, nymphomania or something? Or some I don't know. Horny fucking teenagers. Yeah, like, even by 80s slasher teen standards, like. They was hard to pour Yeah, like, has anybody ever dealt with cops that understanding? <laughs> like, like, fucking on the psychotic woman's property. I had a cop write me a ticket at, for jaywalking after a baseball game once. Um, rebel, rebel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, rebel yell. But, um... So, uh, before um, Sheriff Tucker can get another word out, Ethel Hubbard now, the, the owner of the neighbor farm, and her son Junior come riding up on his dirt bike using many... Sentence enhancers. Ethel demands that the sheriff shut this loony bin down as the kids are nothing but trouble. Ethel then threatens that if any more kids come into her property, she's going to blow their brains out. Yeah, I love this fucking next scene. 
Yeah, threatening cops. That's a brilliant idea there, lady. Also, Junior, Randy Quaid. Does anyone else see that? I do. I do. (laughs) You're fucking dead on with these tonight. He's fucking great value Randy Quaid. (laughs) If, if, If Lenny from Mice of Men had deserved to be shot at the end of the movie, um, that's the... That's the junior character. Great value is being uh, generous. He is the ruler foods, Randy Quaid. (laughs) Uh, So as Sheriff Tucker tries to calm her down, she warns him not to get too close. Don't get too close to me. I got a bomb on me, and I will blow all you motherfuckers up before taking off and fucking flipping the bird as she exits. She just threatened terrorist violence. (laughs) Because that cop tried to make her feel better. And then and then the fucking balls on this bitch. She just flips him off as she exits. I got I got a bit. She's clearly the most mentally ill person there, including Jason Voorhees. What is what is she doing on the other side of that wall? You can clearly see this as the uh, uh, definitely the pre 9-11 mentality where it was just okay to joke about having a bomb on you. And it's the, just the eighty for a simpler time. And just to say, all right, bye. <laughs> uh, all right, so I got a thing. Um, Ethel, I, I, I fucking love Ethel and Junior. They're so over the top ridiculous. Uh, Ethel and Junior are dressed like they're mad at the laundromat. <laughs> Ethel looks like her kissing cousin. Ethel looks like her kissing cousin turned into fucking family, and that Junior's came in the. Holy's come out of a few times, if you know what I mean. And I'm pretty sure their family tree looks like a fucking yardstick. Okay. No, I was, I was thinking, I was thinking, um, Ethel looked like, um, Thelma Harper if, uh, she had a meth problem and, um, quit bathing for a while. Mama, mama. Like, like if shit didn't go so good for her. Yeah. Dude, did you guys catch like that one giant cum stain on her? Do you call that a blouse? What the fuck is that? It's a wife beater. Her, her tunic? <laughs> I don't fucking know. I think man. we could loosely call that a shirt, but um, uh, rag. That's by the broadest definitions of the term. It's um, got two sleeves and some buttons, so yeah, I guess it's a shirt. <laughs> it's got a hole for your neck. So before well. before the cops leave the scene, the sheriff. Then uh, wishes Matt good luck with the Jarvis kid, having known his history. We now cut to later in the day to Vic, who is chopping wood while Violet and Robin excuse me, are hanging laundry on the clothesline. Joey comes out of the house eating a melted candy bar and asks if there's any way he can help with the laundry that the two girls are putting away. The He's girls fucking... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. The girls tell him to piss off, uh, but Joey insists, and he tries to grab the sheets, but his melted chocolate gets all over from his hands. The girls get fucking even more pissed, so he says, "Just forget it. Just forget it. I'll go help somebody else instead." And Joey then strolls over to Vic to see if he can help chop wood. Bad idea, man. Who gave that dude an axe for? Yeah, like where? How are these people with? You know, bad mental illnesses getting access to lethal weapons. <laughs> like Matt's pro- probably is. Matt's probably All right, is. well, no, you're suspended from bazooka duty. Here, take this axe. Nothing could possibly go wrong. All right, who, who's not on gig line duty today? Vic, all right, you're on fucking wood duty. 
Go hack out your unbridled rage. I like when Joey shows up for the first time and it looks like he just looted a fucking vending machine because he has like candy bars sticking out of every opening on him. He reminds me of this scene in SpongeBob SquarePants where SpongeBob and Patrick are selling candy and there's a dude who's chasing him down the entire episode just screaming, Chocolate! And when he fucking finally catches up to him, like you think he's going to like slit their throats and he's like, I've been chasing you boys all day. I'd like to buy Aww. a chocolate, please. And then fucking Patrick farts and like 80 candy bars just fall out of his ass. <laughs> Dead serious. It's great. I love SpongeBob. Uh, anyway, uh, so Joey continues to. Uh, so, so I'm sorry. Joey strolls over to Vic to see if he can help chop the wood. And he tells him uh, that. Uh, uh, that he's that he I could chop wood real good, Vic. Uh, Joey continues yeah. to tell Vic that he loves it at Pinehurst and that growing up an orphan, he was picked up. He was picked on a lot, but now that he's here, he feels that he can be very useful. Vic then yells it. at him to leave him the fuck alone. So Joey offers him a candy bar as a peace offering, uh, but Vic must be lactose intolerant because he uh, just chops it in half <laughs> immediately. Joey tells Vic. That I really think you're out of line here and turns to leave. Uh, but it's hot and Vic has had a bad you're, day. Uh, yeah, your New York accent is much better than Joey's. I just want to throw that out there. Um, Vic's having a bad day oh, because he's not sticking Joey. to Tina. So instead of chopping wood, he decides to chop on some Joey and buries his axe into the back of fucking Joey while the girls scream and see all this happen. Drink. Yeah. Death number. Oh, I'll wait till you're done drinking. I don't want you to. Death by three, death by chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I, I was wondering, like, is there a candy bar worth murdering over? It Mounds like a Mr. and Good Almond bar. Mounds and Almond Joy are shitty candy bars. Yeah, they, um, like I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's some Almond nice Joy's got nuts. Yeah. Mounds don't want to hear that. It's Almond Joy's got nuts. Who gives a fuck? They both suck. They're fucking awful candy bars. Yeah, not, like when somebody yeah. tells me that the fucking like Mounds and Almond Joys are the favorite candy bars, all I want to do is hand them a doll and ask them where their fucking dad touched them because <laughs> those candy bars are fucking gross and they have mental problems. Yeah, yeah, and even then though, uh, if you if you That's gave fun. me, I don't know if I'd murder you if I gave you one. If you catch me on the wrong day, it's like. What's this piece of shit? Like, the thought clearly did not count there. Um, <laughs> so who nope. do you think's more so, Tommy or Victor at this point? Um, well, they've both murdered the exactly the same amount of people to spill Spectre. They, they got the same uh, amount of murders under their belt. Um, I think one is a little more justifiable than the other. Um... We don't know if it was a Mounds or Almond Joy, and I might change my judgment should that um, be brought to light. But yeah, like this blew my like. First time you saw this, did you see that coming? No. No. Yeah, just like all right, like you know, this is like I said, this is one of the first horror movies I ever saw, but I knew the formula. I'm like, let's get down to business. All to right. Defeat like the Huns. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Nobody's yeah. Died. Tubby, 
yeah, Tubby Ramon there is going to be uh, biting the big bazooka pretty soon. Holy shit, I did not see that coming or like in that manner. So the police now have uh, decided to fucking do a 180 since they're fucking only halfway down the driveway at this point to come back for the murder uh, along with the local paramedics. And while the paramedics are getting uh, getting their shit ready, Matt tells Sheriff Tucker uh, that there's no one to identify about Joey's death. Joey's mom died while giving birth, and no one seems to know what happened to the father or who he even is. His dad went out to go get some candy bars and never came back. That's what it is. <laughs> As the paramedics Duke and Roy uncover the body... Roy and the others around get visibly upset at all the carnage because fucking Joey has Vic got busy because he has yeah, how? numerous fucking axe wounds and his fucking left arm has been completely severed from his body. I like how it's just resting and on his back. It's yeah, still now, holding d- the fucking candy bar. I did not <laughs> notice is. that. It is. It's still holding well, on to it. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Jeff, you said the cops were half a mile away. I mean, did they crawl from there back? <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I would not have jumped in front of Vic either, but no, look, it I'm seems like he was. Out. It seemed like he was hacking Joey a lot longer than he was hacking the wood. Um, so Vic got done uh, chopping all that Joey, and he's like, "You know what? I'm a dick. Wish I would have done that to the candy bar. I definitely need a snack." Yeah. Did the chief offer his support after this meeting with uh, Dr. Matt? (laughs) So when all this happens, everybody's upset, but Duke uh, just chuckles to himself and calls them all a bunch of pussies while chewing bubble gum. Yeah, uh, Madam Bastard is a little bit kinder and more understanding than me. And that was the first character that she said, yeah, that that character needs to die. (laughs) Like, well, you've come to the right movie, baby doll. So right. let's um, so stick around to it. <laughs> later on in the night, we are introduced to two greaser-looking dudes. Vinny, who I had to look hard into this, looks like Boner from Growing Pains. But they're actually two fucking separate <laughs> actors. Two dudes. I can't on, unsee that. Two dudes who roughly were born around the same age happen to look like Italian tadpoles. And, and having to also be actors, like, I just, I couldn't fucking understand the odds of that. And I, I, I could have swore, I was like, no, IMDb has it wrong. Wikipedia has it wrong. They have to be the fucking same guy. They're not. Were, they are were not. They, were they both rejected from the outsiders and they, then just wandered into this movie they, too? Or If Boner was still alive, fucking... he should have fucking checked for his half of the medallion because I promise you these fucking two dudes are double dragon. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> okay. uh, and then we... it's Jimmy and Bimmy Lee. <laughs> so, so we've got Vinny and then Pete, uh, who are now broke down on the side of the road in Crystal Lake. While Vinny works on the car, Pete goes off in the woods to drop a deuce. And I, this is one of the few quotes I wrote down. He's... Uh, I got to take a crap. Crap my ass. <laughs> we need to work that into our vernaculars because there's from now on. Yeah, because so... that just works on two levels. I mean, I have to take a crap. Crap my, you just went. <laughs> or if you wait too long to take a crap, you right? crapped your ass. Technically, I mean, I used to work with a dude who, anytime you told him something interesting or outrageous or unbelievable his he had the same retort or response he would go well shit the bed 
Nice. <laughs> like, is that a good thing or a bad? I'm just okay. I like it though, so I I say it now. I could. I can't help it. Uh, all right. So while Vinny uh, works on the car and Pico's off to fucking make number doo doo, uh, Nachos, you got something? Yeah, I'm pretty sure these two greasers were on their way to go meet up with uh, Coach Schneider from fucking Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> two at the <laughs> which came out the same year. I no, mean, so you're I was up thinking. I was thinking, like, if you if you read the Outsiders um, during the big rumble with the Soshas, um, they were like, <laughs> yeah. the Soshas had an advantage, and like, oh, that's where the last two went. Also, um, after, yeah, I probably would have rooted for the Soshas should had the book focused on these two douchebags, but um, I digress. Do you think they were listening to the Stray Cats? <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, that would have made them likable, but... <laughs> yeah, no, these guys are fucking bunguses. Bungusai, if you will. So while all this is going on, suddenly someone sneaks up behind Vinny, lights a road flare, and uh, shoves. Uh, he shows it to the inside of his throat. Uh, drink. Drink. All right. Drink. Death number four. Vinny takes a hot six inches in his mouth as he deep throats that rope Before Pete comes back and finds Vinny slumped inside the hood of the car, not noticing that his buddy is dead, Pete tries to start uh, the car several times, and as it finally turns over, uh, someone pops up from the back seat and slashes Pete's throat with a machete. Drink. So nachos... Um, I know um you're I know you've got family members who are mechanically inclined. Maybe yes. after this, um another movie trope like you know, the analog porn in public that needs to go. Has anyone here ever opened a mechanical thing like a car? And just come, oh, that's what's wrong. Um it's clear as day. It's holding up an <laughs> unbroken sign. It, it's gotta be the solenoid. That's yeah. part four reference. All right, I got one for you. Let me Sorry. Uh, death number five, Pete gets a reach around from a stranger in the back seat. <laughs> Hello. All right, and, and back to answer what Bastard was talking about. Do you remember that time we were at Petite Four and your mom's car wouldn't work? So I took the stick, spun it, and said duddits and tapped the fucking hood, and it worked? No, because that never happened. That, that fucking happened. <laughs> I said, remember Must be the uh, European fucking... cut of your life. No, that fucking <laughs> Stephen King movie. Uh, that that one with fucking Marky Mark's brother, and he's like special with the, the ass weasels. Okay, you, you lost. You're talking about, about Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher, yes, thank yeah, with you. With the with, with the fucking goodness. with the poop monsters. With the shit weasels, yeah. Yeah. No, I tapped the hood because we went to see some dumbass movie. You were with some chick or whatever, and then like. I tapped the fucking hood of the car. It wouldn't start. I tapped the hood. I said, do it. I spun the stick in a circle, and I tapped the hood. Pixar, it didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> uh, let me so go the back next morning time. now, Tommy wakes up, uh, and he starts having flashbacks to when he killed Jason. And he sees him pop up in the mirror behind him, complete with bloody axe. And as he turns around, no one is there. But downstairs, uh, at this time during breakfast, the girls are setting the table while Reggie asks uh, his gramps if he can see his brother tomorrow while he's in town. And as everyone is sitting down, Jake becomes very upset because Violet set too many places at the table. 
not you, thinking you about how Joey and Vic will not yeah, be joining them. <laughs> yeah, Billy Bibbit survived the end of Cuckoo's Nest and wound up at Pinehurst. <laughs> uh, so Matt then asks Tommy to go get Eddie for breakfast, and as he does so, Eddie pops up around the corner and scares Tommy with one of his own masks, which is actually a really cool Wolfman mask. I really like it. Yeah. It's uh, fucked up looking. Does... What's up? I, I'm sorry, this is a complete aside. Um, like, am I remembering this wrong? Because I thought I saw a creature from the Black Lagoon-style mask in his collection. Yeah. Uh, he, does, does that ever make its way into Part 4? I know it didn't in this one, and um, my copy of Part 4 is lent out. Part four, the only one that I remember was the uh, head on, like a basically, like, it was like a puppet head. I think he had some mask in his room, but none that really stick out to me. But he's got that one head that he like moves the the jaw around in the eyes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Right All right. I'll so, be wasting time on this already long podcast with worthless asides. You were saying. <laughs> it, part four, when he's playing Zaxxon, he has that mask, and then like I guess they took that mask and gave it a head pussy or something, and that's the one he puts on to freak out, little uh reckless he has like a demon mask because its tongue is sticking out it has its ear pierced and then he has that fucking like bulimic wolfman mask or anteater whatever the fuck that is yeah and other than that i don't i don't think any of the other ones get play and then he's got the wolfman mask that eddie puts on which i think is different than the other one right i I want to this is oh uh, about matt being fucking horrible at his job like Hey guys, um, so we got this new guy coming in, and he's dealt with some severe fucking trauma, so maybe let's not try to upset him or jump out at him. He's killed a man with a machete, so... uh... He's killed Jason Voorhees. They they are in the fucking area, the vicinity of fucking Camp Crystal Lake. He's really about it. He's a a a walking ball of stress, and he should be competing for the light heavyweight championship. Um... (laughs) And before we get back in, this is something I noticed in the movie watching it again that I really came to like. I love the little signs in the background all around the house. And given what's no about to happen in the hallway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yes. yeah. That's the biggest issue they have. Um, <laughs> one of my personal Not favorites. Each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first one I noticed and given what's about to happen, a balanced diet helps to fight schizophrenia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, game, not uh, medication and therapy. Um, well, those Doritos that Nachos is going to have for dinner is not going to help his mind. It's going to level me out. So Get uh, some burn. Eddie tosses the mask uh, back at Tommy and says, Hey, man, it's just a fucking joke. Can't you take a joke? Starts fucking so punching him in the Tommy, arm. Tommy shows him what he thinks is funny and body slams him through a fucking end table before beating the shit out of him. Matt if brings it all up and tells him to relax uh, as we cut over to Ethel's house. If only he had a balanced diet. <laughs> Speaking of the Tommy other backgrounds, the other background sign I love from there is junk food with the international no symbol over it. If Joey had paid heed to that, he would have been alive. Um, right? Fuck. They should have used the Mr. Yuck. Mr. Yuck means no. <laughs> yes. Dude. Tommy fucking wrecks that dude. He flips him <laughs> over that table onto a bunch of glass pitchers and just works his fucking face into applesauce. You know what? It's upsetting when you see uh, Eddie later on. He should have like a black eye missing like fucking three tooth and his lips split up to his fucking nose, you know? Yeah, I've yeah, I've been punched in the face like once, you know? 
not by Chuck Liddell there, and um, <laughs> I saw the effects of it. Um, so over at Ethel's that, house, uh, yes. she is in the kitchen chopping off the neck of a chicken with gusto. After calling yeah. her son a dildo, she <laughs> she hears the chickens outside making a ruckus, thinking it's that damn coyote. Um, that she's been seen around here uh, before she goes to the door and in front of her is Raymond. Uh, he says that he hasn't eaten in two days and would like to earn a meal. So Ethel tells him to clean all the shit out, all the chicken shit out of the chicken coop and she will fill his stomach when he's done going back. Uh, then she goes back to fucking chopping chickens and yelling at Junior to shut the fuck up. This is yeah, one because one ugly man who goes Ethel's there. fucking chopping. Hey, yeah. Hey, yeah. yeah. I'm on top of you. So I swear to God, I was sober when I watched the, this the first time. And you know, I just wanted to write down little things I thought I should bring up. Um, and I'm looking at it right now. And I swear to God, I have written Ethel could have been a sympathetic character with some minor tweaks. And I have no idea what my <laughs> line of thinking was. I swear to God, I wasn't you know, strung out on God only knows what chemicals or drunk. On yes. Yes. Somehow I thought this character could be sympathetic with minor changes. So new, no. I will yeah, say um, uh, cleaning a chicken house is not an easy task. I grew up on a farm and that is a fucking cocksucker. That is a, that is a whole day uh, affair and that is not fun. Yeah. I imagined and two days without food. You know how cranky and worthless I am if I only eat one uh, turkey sandwich for lunch? Um, two, <laughs> you know, t- that I know that was as privileged as it sounds. I don't give a shit. Um, two <laughs> days without food. Not just Do you have simpler time beer? Yes. I fucking love simpler time. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had a thing real quick. So she says one Ethel has like some of my favorite dialogue in this movie. She goes, who the fuck are you? And what the fuck do you want? And, and fun fact, she, um, she, she was in Sharky's machine that, that fucking Burt Reynolds movie. She played a prostitute. I have that. So, later. Oh, okay. No, we don't have to talk about that, that. Yeah. Could you back up a little okay. bit? Cause you're standing on my dick. <laughs> back up off my nuts. All right. Well, she- so, um, the cops now, at this point, have found Vinny and Pete. Uh, Sheriff Tucker asks a few of the deputies to check over the area for any clues as to who might have done this, while Roy and Duke, who have arrived on the scene, uh, work to take the bodies back to the morgue. And we get the first, my favorite line, uh, but the first of many, as Sheriff Tucker just fucking says to no one in general, what the hell is going on here? And Roy says, <laughs> you talking to me, Sheriff? What? Well, I thought you were talking to me. <laughs> what's the matter Roy you got a guilty conscience or something uh, <laughs> Deputy Dodd then remarks that they might have a maniac on the loose as they head out I just it's it's it, I don't think it's intended to be a comedic scene but I just love it it's just so goofy it's just uh you talking to me sheriff <laughs> knowing well, knowing what I know now <laughs> yeah Officer Dodd's doing his best Clint Eastwood impersonation too. He's like, "Let me grit my teeth the whole time I'm saying it." It's like, this is called acting. I've been told. <laughs> so later that night, uh, Billy, uh, our porn fanatic, uh, orderly, 
uh, uh, pulls up to a local diner and uses his big dick energy to do donuts in the parking lot before summoning his girlfriend, <laughs> Lana, from inside. As she comes outside, mean- Billy orders a Lana to go with nothing on her and says that the pride of the Unger Institute for Mental Health has just dumped his last bedpan <laughs> and would like to party. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I'm sure it's a stressful job. That is literally the only thing I am not going to fault this character for. It's a good line, too. Yeah, I'm not condoning drug abuse, but you deserve a release there, bud. And these next next two minutes are busy for the drinking game, for sure. He's like, I only got to look at my porno, Meg, three times today. (laughs) So there's a... So one of the things um, I noticed and Madam Bastard did is Lana is entirely too hot for Billy. Dude, she's a smoke show. Yeah, and um, Lana didn't know what was, or uh, Madam Bastard did not know what was coming and like, why? And I there's an old Trash Brats uh, song. If you've never heard the Trash Brats, you owe it to yourself to listen to them. Like such an underrated band. The song's called "It's Got to Be the Cocaine," <laughs> and um, like how, and it's like it borderline, um, like nice guy. Like, why don't chicks dig me? Why do they dig this guy? It's got to be the blow. And <laughs> <laughs> so Lana says so, uh, that she needs to finish up, and um, I think we all know what that means. It's got to be the cocaine. <laughs> 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 No, uh, that actually sounds. I'll have to check that out. Also, if you notice, Billy's wearing a wedding ring, and Lana is not. Scandalous! (laughs) Yeah, I did not spot that. Yeah, yeah, maybe I have that backwards. I think it's Billy who was wearing the wedding ring, though. That time I watched Thirty Day Fiance, you think I'd fucking catch on that, but I didn't. No, he's shooting. On his nudie Meg with Lana. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Back yeah, that that's the yeah, that's the uh weighted ring around the baseball bat on his hand. Um <laughs> so, as, as Lana says she's uh she needs to finish up, uh she goes inside before she can leave and um after she does, she heads to the bathroom to get dressed. And in a, in a move that mimics uh, Roy Scheider from All That Jazz, she flashes her breasts and claims, It's showtime! And I want to make a note of this in particular, um, because this movie gets a lot of heat for being uh, scuzzy or sleazy, that this scene was actually Rebecca Wood's idea, uh, the actress who plays Lana, who told Danny Steinman about it uh, and let her improvise this in the movie. It was not scripted. Uh, also, 35 minutes, 10 seconds in, we have boobies. Um, so, but I, just, I did want to make a note of that because we do get a lot of boobies in here, but this is, uh, that is important and it comes into play later. So are we drinking every time there's nudity or sex? Sex. Okay. Oh, or, or, uh, no, okay. Uh, <clears throat> so I was watching this with Elena and I'm just like, Honey, do you ever do that? She's like, what? It's like, you know, you're at work and you're just, you know, winding down. You just go to the bathroom and flash yourself your own tits. She's like, oh, my God, nonstop all the time. I actually got written up the other day because I didn't get my job done. I'm like, you being a little smart ass? She's like, being a little smart ass. It's like, okay. (laughs) So outside, Billy is getting antsy and decides to go skiing while he waits. And we get my second favorite line of the movie. 
The forecast is cloudy up in the mountains, sunny in the valleys, and snow flurries up your nose. Oh, bed up your nose. <laughs> Drink. Or whatever the fuck he does. Animal that makes drink. crippling addiction just sound so in touch with nature. <laughs> so fu- makes it sound fun. If I didn't think drugs were cool before this, I'm definitely on board now because Billy looks like guys- my kind of role model. <laughs> do you guys want to do some coke after this episode? I know we're in different locations, but God oh, damn, this-, this movie. <laughs> Sorry, another thing that just hit me. Um, Billy, who he looks like, he is the real life Bob Belcher. <laughs> I think he's a little skinny from doing too much blow burgers, but yeah, no. he, he looks it. You're not wrong, pal. Uh, so while uh, Billy continues to patiently wait for Lana, uh, he pokes his head out of the driver's side to shout for her. Uh, but something is waiting. Someone is waiting behind the car and buries his axe in the middle of Billy's bald spot. Drink. Oh, I have it done. Also, we're not going to talk about the jump scare cat. I was, I had, yeah, like, how did they do that? Did they just throw the cat? Because that seems, I know they land on their foot at at her on the way out the door. Yeah, I I can't stop at every scene. I've got like fucking (laughs) a million pages here. We're like an hour and 20 minutes in and we haven't even gotten halfway through the movie. (laughs) Death number six. X lines are on his line. <laughs> this, that is among your best work. Well done, sir. Congratulations, sir. Uh, all right. So, um, Lana then makes her way to Billy's car, but uh, doesn't find him anywhere. Instead, while she's waiting for him, she finds the Coke. And before she can help herself and get a taste, she sees someone outside the car with a bloody axe and some work boots. Lana tries to get away, but gets the axe buried in her stomach instead. Drink. All right, I got death number seven. Lana needs to be more careful. That's how accidents happen. <laughs> you know, when you're... And now, no, we, uh, it, that wasn't a bad one, but that was a single after your walk-off grand slam. <laughs> um, we are, we are, 20, s- go we are seven go deaths into the movie, uh, four of them by our main killer here. And we've uh, we've yet to see him, just uh, his or her hands or feet. So um, I like this. It, it definitely plays this up. Uh, back at Pinehurst, the next day now, Tommy is working on his Jimmy Stewart impression by spying on some of the chickens. When he's distracted by Tina and Eddie, who are running right through his periphery, when suddenly he sees Jason standing in the yard with a bloody axe. Tommy um, closes his eyes and tries to get himself together by kind of talking to himself like, no, no, no. And when he looks up again, uh, Jason is gone and the chickens are okay. Thank God. Right. Right. PETA. Yeah. At... at... Yeah. Sorry, I was going to go somewhere with that. And um... So, over at the police station now, uh, Mayor Cobb is having a fucking conniption fit and tells Sheriff Tucker that he doesn't care if he has to put his own fucking mother behind bars. He wants whoever is responsible for these murders to be caught. And as he continues to yell, the sheriff interrupts him and tells the mayor he knows exactly who did this. He says that it was Jason Voorhees. But the mayor says that he's out of his mind since Jason was cremated after his death in part four. I love the sheriff here because he questions it as if this is the truth. And as the mayor, uh, were you there? 
did you see it happen? You've been out in the sun too long. Yeah. Jason fucking Voorhees is dead. So, someone had someone had one job and <laughs> <laughs> And this is, uh, it's a good goal. Yeah, I mean, back and forth, even though, the mayor, that. like, he was clearly pulling double duty as the, you know, mayor from Jaws. Um, <laughs> no You know, shit. I can, you know. Don't be the mayor fuck from up. Jaws. Yeah, you fuck up multitasking. I, <laughs> I can, uh, I don't condone, I just understand. <laughs> mayor Cobb has a suit, and it just has, like, little Jason masks all over it. <laughs> That's his design. The pinstripes are just machetes. I like it. I want it. Uh, so Mayor Cobb decides that he's had enough of this fucking dumb shit and tells him to get himself a live suspect before storming out. Now, back over at Casa de Murder, Tina and her twins, the Smothers Brothers, are doing laundry. <laughs> what? Jesus Christ. <laughs> When Eddie sneaks up behind her, he casually but aggressively suggests that they sneak away for a little thrusting and busting, and the two of them sneak off in the woods with a sheet that Tina will now have to wash and fold for a second time today. Again. By the way, is it really... There are no guards. Um, Security is lax at best. Do they really need to go to the secluded place to get it on i don't yeah i don't understand why they've got like there's the woods are all around you why do you gotta go to the fucking neighbor's farm why can't you just fuck in the woods which they they do here it's like god after finding the perfect spot uh eddie pulls out woods eddie pulls out a jazz cigarette uh while the two of them continue with their bad decision buffet drink oh that's drug use off in the woods, though, Raymond is watching them with great interest. Fucking Palpatine. I'm watching them with great interest. Uh, as, the, as the naked couple move on to phase two of a plan I like to call Making Jesus Cry. <laughs> Drink. Um. Drink. I will drink to that. Uh, but behind Raymond, someone sneaks up and stabs, stabs him in the stomach uh, before he can get to finish the show for being a nosy fucking Nelly. And drink. Okay, and I just want to know with Raymond, like, you know, it's an unanswerable question because I looked. Like, was there a greater subplot with that? Like, I get, like, e- even by, like, disposable character standards, his character arc is probably not the right word for it, but I can't think of another one, (laughs) was, um, you know, particularly worthless. I'm hungry. I could use a meal. Clean the chicken poo. (laughs) Um, Live analog porn. Death. Um, He's like, all right. Death number eight. Creepy Raymond. His death is so insignificant because... Like the bastard was saying, um, this bring this dude brings nothing to the fucking table. So I'm not even gonna waste a gag on it. Wait, everybody hates Raymond. There we go. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> All right, well, she got. Uh, so after... everybody loves Raymond. So why can't I? Right <laughs> after the uh, after Eddie's one minute marathon, uh, he leaves a very naked Tina to go wash up as Tina is lying there with her favorite pair of guest jeans. Someone sneaks up on Tina and stabs her in the eyes with a pair of gardening shears. Drink. We got 
We got a death. death Nachos. May I take this one? Actually, I have one for you. It's the next one. Oh. Dead serious. Death through the eyes and you're to blame. <laughs> <laughs> I had nine out of ten optometrists would not recommend this, but I like yours. <laughs> I will uh, quit stealing your bit. Thank you for so not killing me a, like Mo did the original Alfalfa. <laughs> you stole my bit. Um, <laughs> so at at this point again, I've already mentioned we've yet to see the killer, but now I am convinced that it is Cropsy. <laughs> Eddie uh, then heads back after washing all the Tina juice off him. And finds her supposedly sleeping, but as he rolls her over, he sees that she is laying in a pool of blood with her, uh, with and her eyes are now missing from where they should be. Eddie is startled and backs into a tree where Cropsy wraps a leather strap around his head, and and the tree and just fucking begins to tighten it slowly with a fucking branch until Eddie's head is crushed. The rink. I had a straight up brain sound fart effect. on I like this that. one. God damn, that was like. Light being oh, in a can. Really? That was awesome. Really? Um, if you want, um, go ahead with this kill because I got nothing. I had a brain fart. I'm down three belt loops. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad Eddie didn't come strapped. <laughs> I was going to say you, you something. You win this about, round, sir. I was going to say something like Eddie and the Bruisers, but it just didn't. Eddie it it didn't go into fruition. Nice. Right. Uh, so that night back at Pinehurst, Pam is taking Reggie to town to visit his brother Demon. Fucking great name. And Matt <laughs> is pissed that Eddie and Tina have not been back and have missed dinner. Matt suggests that Pam take Tommy with them as he seems a little stressed. Oh, I wonder fucking why. And maybe the trip to town will do him some good. Uh, the- you think Matt and Pam are fucking... So that's kind of the, you know you know you don't I was thinking that after I finished this you don't get that discussion there's no dialogue or evidence that would suggest it but it just feels like Pam is not a uh, uh, resident of the institute be, she is like seems to be in the employ because wouldn't capacity. that be wouldn't that be unprofessional to be yeah. fucking a coworker just well, chalk that up to the laundry list of shit Matt's doing wrong. I, I, I'm, I don't know. Matt has good intentions, and I want to give him the benefit of the doubt on yeah, this. Well, the road to hell, sir. And the road to hell. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, even um, we'll get into this later, and we're starting <laughs> to see the beginnings of it. Even in a movie that has a drinking game trigger, where like if characters are incompetent or worthless at their job, you should drink. Ham stands out. <laughs> As the Michael Phelps, um, <laughs> you know the ninety-two, the, the ninety-two dream team, <laughs> and every inspirational poster ever of incompetence. Um, You're not wrong. And negligence. Uh, so the gang arrives at a trailer park where Demon is waiting, and Reggie runs over to meet him. Demon introduces Reggie to the enchiladas he's having for dinner and his girlfriend, Anita, who is just casually smoking the devil's lettuce. Yeah, with her. Pam is cool with this. Drink. Um, Jesus Christ. It's the 80s, man. Everybody was doing coke. She's like, fuck, dude. I deal with crazy people all day. Let me just get a (laughs) puff of that fucking doober, you know? (laughs) 
so like growing up like and getting really into like you know metal and hardcore and then later on dating women who weren't and having dressed the part like there is not a more mismatched couple wardrobe wise than demon, um, demon and, and yeah and you know this is coming from you know this is coming from someone who owns multiple Slayer shirts and, um, you know, would, and had to shop at um, Abercrombie and Fitch for someone else's um, Christmas presents. So uh, now while Pam, Reggie, Demon, way. and Anita are just fucking hanging out in the van with all this just fucking casual drug use going on. I like how uh, Anita's tit is practically just hanging out. It's just she's like, like just yeah. puffing, just, hey, little bro. He's like, where did you get that? (laughs) Right. I love the relationship in between Reggie and Demon. That's that shit's good. (laughs) Yeah. At some point, well, I'm I'm getting ahead of it. I'll wait for you to finish the scene. I'm sorry. So uh, at at the same time, Tommy is hanging back by the truck, but gets startled as Junior almost fucking hits him with a dirt bike. Junior then realizes that Tommy is from Pinehurst and tells him that his mama's gonna chop him up in little pieces. Before starting to push him around. Uh, Little does Junior know that Tommy has already killed a mongoloid mama's boy, (laughs) as well as potentially eight other people at this point. And he doesn't (laughs) like to be pushed around, so Tommy starts to beat the shit out of Junior until Pam comes and breaks it up. Dude! He fucking... He goes full-on Tekken on his ass, beats the fucking brakes off this kid, and does, like, this fucking, like, kicks his foot out and then, like, leg drops him at the same time. No, this is like... He's got the moves. No, this is the first round of every Rocky movie ever to establish <laughs> that Rocky has to dig deep. Except discount, except discount Randy Quaid um, playing Lenny from Mice and Men if he deserved to die is his opponent. Um, so Tommy, uh, after Pam breaks up the fight, Tommy runs off as Junior also leaves. So Pam and Reggie just have to fucking split to go after Tommy. While back at the van now, uh, Demon takes a hit oh. off of Anita's giggle smoke drink. Okay, and okay, okay and uh, after we drink, we might have um, to take two things. Um, two things I want to ask. One, um, so does Demon live in that van? Because I. Th- I'm pretty sure he does, but was that ever officially confirmed? Or I think he's a traveler. Yeah. Okay, and do I remember an exchange between um, Demon and Reggie correctly? Where um, I think Demon gives him a ring or something and says, like, keep hustling or whatever, and you can have all I have. He said, uh, if you've traveled the world as much as I have, you can, something like that. God, what a shitty endorsement for a for a lifestyle. And it's like, buddy, I don't um, believe you're traveling the world unless this is the magic school bus. Well, yeah, um, I mean, the only thing keeping this from being a van down by the river joke is the lack of the fucking river. And uh, <laughs> see, what you guys don't know, Demon was actually an extra in Breaking. So that's where he met Anita, and he was actually traveling from the set of Breaking 1 to Breaking 2. Breaking and he 2, off Electric his, Boogaloo. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm an asshole here. Uh, <laughs> I am the asshole that forgot Electric Boogaloo. Uh, 
Yeah, so he was on the way to the fucking second movie, and he's like, oh, shit, I gotta go see my little brother in some nutso farm in Jersey. That's what's up with that. So, uh, a- after the hit, uh, this sends those damn enchiladas into a frame, <laughs> and on the way out the back door. Uh, Demon runs double time to the outhouse, and after letting loose uh, the fucking walls oh, of Jericho oh. here, <laughs> the... Uh, the the fucking the outhouse begins to shake and demon starts to freak out and ask who's doing it? who's doing it when Anita is outside and I love this because it's so out of place for the way she's dressed her character's in like in a nice uh, dress and like lace gloves kind of like Madonna sort of vibe going on and she's just fucking shaking the shit house that her fucking boyfriend is currently sitting in it just doesn't seem like something a girl especially from the eighties would be comfortable with uh, but and. <laughs> As she begins to chuckle, demon. I love fucking demon signs. Ooh, you're gonna get it, bitch. <laughs> gonna get it now, um, bitch. Easy, Joanna, man. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want this to come off like I'm condoning violence against women. But was there ever a less intimidating threat than that? Um, She's more masculine than he is. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure my beagle could have handled that fucking problem. Um, I think like, maybe Rob Halford like, look, looks like, at fucking demon and goes, dude, you're kind of androgynous here. It's a little bit much. No, he sounded, he sounded like, remember when Dave Chappelle would impersonate white people? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, as, as, as Chuck Taylor. The, yeah. From the evening news. Yeah, you're going to get it, bitch. Um, <laughs> now, that said, <laughs> I clearly have no respect for this character, but... Oh, I think it was, yeah, on, Bu- Bukowski said, even Hitler deserves to shit and wipe his ass in peace, or something <laughs> to that effect, and he, poor Demon didn't even get that base level of respect. Second time in this movie, somebody takes a dump and doesn't wipe their ass. Uh, well, there's a good reason why he doesn't. Uh, so <laughs> after this happens, uh, and Anita tells him to fucking, uh, she throws a lamp at him and says, lighten up. Um, Anita and Demon then start singing to each other uh, in this fucking weird sing song. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. baby, ooh, baby, baby ooh, and they're like, um, I, in I, had to, I had to write this down. Um, Madam Bastard, open parenthesis. I will never to sing to you while you are on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Close parenthesis. This is how I know it's true love. Because yeah. not only are they singing, but they're harmonizing, which is, is hard to do the, while clenching that ass. Yeah, and the acoustics in that song. outhouse were turds. <laughs> that, pardon the pun. That tin <laughs> shit house. Uh, so uh, <laughs> while they're singing, uh, 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 suddenly we hear Anita gasp from outside uh and then the shithouse starts to shake again so seaman the demon then says that's it bitch we're gonna get it and he goes to fucking not wipe his ass and heads straight out but he to give it to that bitch but he can't get the door fully open because anita's corpse is being very inconvenient and laying on the ground with her throat slit drink rude <laughs> just trying to shit here Demon then hides back inside the outhouse. Oh, sorry, Nachos, you got the... Death number 11, Anita got shithouse slashed. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) 
Demon then hides back inside the outhouse as uh, someone starts stabbing the the walls with this giant metal spike. And after a few misses, finally gets Demon through the stomach and kills him. Drink. All right. We got drink. Death number 12. Demon got crapper. Crapper kebab in that gross shit house. <laughs> I was thinking if little if little Richard had come of a come of age in the eighties and um, <laughs> and somehow died on the toilet like Elvis, this is a weird alternate universe going on here. Uh, so uh, after this, Pam and Reggie have now arrived back at Pinehurst, where Jake, Robin, and Violet. Meet them out front and tell them that Matt and Gramps are gone. And Eddie and Tina have still not come back. They don't know where Matt and Gramps have gone. Pam tells everybody to stay there. Jake, you're in charge. Go to bed while she goes out to look for everyone. Uh, It just seems irresponsible. If I may interject, and I'll come back to this again. You know, this was a drink in the full game. Um... We're leaving Billy Bibbit in charge here. Um, <laughs> I mean, first of all, we're leaving, um, you know, traumatized kids with mental disorders in in charge. Even in the world of horror, that's a horrible fucking thing to let happen. And Billy Bibbit, um, leave Reggie in charge next time. I think he would have done a better job. Jake gets so upset he starts stuttering. <laughs> Jake's mad, man. Jake's mad. Uh, so, oh, wait. <laughs> wait till later. <laughs> Over at the neighbor's house now, Junior is riding around on his fucking bike just in insane fucking circles, screaming at the top of his fucking lungs to his mama. They hurt me, ma! They hurt me! You need to go kill them all, mom! Go kill them all! Well, inside the house, Ethel cannot make out what he is saying as she continues to scream back and make her... Either could Will you I. shut up? I'm making you stew! Don't I make the best goddamn stew? Hawks a fucking loogie in it. <laughs> Uh, outside, as Junior continues to ride around like an asshole on his motorcycle, someone swings a meat cleaver from behind a tree and chops Junior's head off. Drink. All right. We have the, he- death the, hell- the Hell's Dipshits were a short-lived outlaw motorcycle <laughs> club. Death number 13. Junior needs to be careful in that backyard. That's a real sharp turn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, as as it now has quieted down, Ethel continues to berate her un, un, unknowingly dead son <laughs> as someone smashes a meat cleaver through the window and buries it in Ethel's favorite face as it fall as she falls down and fucking f- drowns off into the fucking stew. Drink. All right, we got death number fourteen. Nobody can resist mom's cooking because she really puts her blood, sweat, and tears into the. <laughs> You know, um, of all of all the things to nitpick, and I know <laughs> I've done this a lot. I remember, like, at some point um, during you know sunny dipshits um, ride around the um, you know track outside. It was like, like your stew's almost ready, 
ever made a good stew, like that's a from where she's at, it's a good two or three hours away. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, man. She's adding fresh ingredients way too late in the game. Yeah. And just to go back to an earlier, you know, point, um, because I swear to God, I wrote this down. Ethel could be a great sympathetic character with minor tweaks. I have no idea how I thought that and where I was going with it. Do either of you see that? No, I, no, not at I, all. Okay, I love how fucking insane she is. Yeah. All right. I'm. She's a fun fucking throwaway character. Yeah, I I probably shouldn't be confessing to catastrophic failures of the mind like that on something that'll be broadcast on the internet. Mild antagonists in in things like this um, that sort of set set these uh, certain scenarios uh, to keep your mind off of what obviously is just going on to help set up uh, the movie, to to help give it some pacing outside of other just... Here I am, kill. Here I am, kill. And uh, with Ethel, it, it's it's fun. You you haven't had an Ethel um, outside of of Crazy Ralph, right? In one and two, and he's She's very prominent Ralph, in one, but... two, not so much. Um, but uh, three, I don't I think really Is had one. She... Yeah, they have Abel. He's the and the Lord. Oh, that's right. Uh, but he's only he's in, in one another... scene. <laughs> no, he was in a he's in a deleted scene where he gets killed, but doesn't matter. Fucking deleted scene. All right. Uh, so, uh, so while driving around looking for the rest of the gang, Pam's truck dies uh, because she's boom, the one boom, who doesn't know boom. how to operate it. Goddamn American cars! <laughs> <laughs> Has there uh, ever been a Friday the Thirteenth without car trouble? That's a movie I don't want to see. Oh, yeah, wait, yes, part, yes, part six. Part eight. Well, part six doesn't have nudity either, so that doesn't count. Um, I don't think part eight has cars. <laughs> part eight doesn't no, have a no, plot, no. but <laughs> part eight has that cop card that they reckon to Jason, and then like old girl kills her fucking uh, lesbian lover or whatever. I wouldn't we'll call that, that car trouble. I, I'd call that a lover's. I'd call that manslaughter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not car trouble. <laughs> You're, yeah, my bad, my bad. I don't we'll get to that when we never watch part eight. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I'll be so, over here driving a Hyundai if you need me. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so Pam's <laughs> truck dies, so she decides to hoof it uh, all the way back uh, to Pinehurst. Now, uh, over there, now Jake and Robin are getting cozy on the couch while watching A Place in the Sun. Even though several of his friends are missing or dead, Jake doesn't want to waste this opportunity to get himself some snatch. And he puts the moves on Robin, but she just laughs it off and shuts him down. And, and as I'm watching fucking hands off. I was watching the hat to Robin for not throwing that incel sympathy bone. Um, <laughs> do you want to like, fuck? So I as mean, I'm watching this scene, there's and I done. say that as someone who is into metal, and I understand what it is to be awkward around women, but Jesus Christ, that like creepy vibe he gives, and going back to um, our original point, why in the fuck was he left in charge? Exactly, that's what I was getting to. As I'm watching this scene, I'm thinking like. Who puts this guy in charge in his first fucking his? I mean, I get he's a teenager, but his first fucking thoughts like I'm gonna get this dick wet. I would <laughs> and put um, the, the, the I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Nachos, I interrupted you. Oh, all right, 
I would put Reggie in charge. I would put Funklatron fucking Violet in charge. <laughs> I would put genuinely anybody else. Dude, here's the best part. When you would... strike him out, Reggie's on the couch. Because, like, remember when she goes to fucking put oh, the blanket on earlier? Yeah. That means he was in the room the whole time. So How now, is well, I, I would put the enchilada turds that passed from demons <laughs> bowels and his death moment in charge so um, looking, looking at robin um was there an episode in salute your shorts where uh, uh budnick wears a wig because they look a lot alike like shut your whore mouth that chick is amazing she's in slumber party massacre too I don't know. She didn't have fucking poodle hair, so playing, well, uh, playing fast and loose with the word "amazing." I don't know. Like, believe it or not, I can pull together like short-lived stints of responsibility. Um, I've seen it, <laughs> and it makes me relate with Robin. I don't think it would have changed anything, but God damn it, she should have been in charge, and they got shit on in nurse. So, uh, Jake now, after being fucking shut down, getting the cold shoulder and having a, having a, having a boner he's got to deal with, he, he heads upstairs and tries to talk to Violet. Uh, now, and again, I don't know if he's like, wanted to talk to you about Robin or what I always thought was that he's like, oh, Robin said, no, I'm going to fucking say maybe Violet to it. That is exactly what I assumed. And I'm sorry, I didn't get this in on the last time when he gave Robin that line, like, I like you a lot. Did he sound like, Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber, but less comedic and so much more tragic. I have that line. I I de- 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 desperately want to make love to a schoolboy. I have that here in my fucking notes, dude. <laughs> well, that yeah. that might have been a little less cringeworthy, all things considered. <laughs> um, and then he just looks over at Reggie, and Reggie's like, "Fuck you, honky." <laughs> I digress. <laughs> so uh, Violet then now brushes off fucking Jake's advances. And as he banks out of the room, someone is waiting in the hallway and he gives him the Ethel special right to the face with the meat cleaver. Drink. And so oh. goes the incel. Uh, death number 15. If Jake were a sandwich, he'd be an open face turkey sandwich. <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. Oh, don't worry. It, there's a, there's a, there's a, You'll see. So after the movie is over, uh, Robin um, just covers up Reggie on the couch, like you were fucking saying. He's just he's in he's in the sex pit here. Uh, that Jake he just, just did pulled not over give a out of embarrassment. About. That's what he did. Yeah, he like, this fucking honky ain't getting nowhere, but I just can't stand to look at him. <laughs> fucking cracker she, got shot down. She then goes upstairs, and as Robin, um, classic fucking eighties scene here, where she just strips down to nothing but her fucking underwear. Uh, climbs into bed, and again, the body of Budnick, uh, she rolls over to see Jake's dead ass lying next to her. She tries to no. get out of bed. She, she apologizes to her tits in the mirror. She's like, I'm sorry, Jake. <laughs> in a very cold which, room. Very cold room. Yeah, which um, <laughs> I, I still sympathize with Robin. She's one of my favorite characters in the movie. I wish he had stood strong and looked in the mirror and went, fuck that dork. Um, (laughs) I would rather lick shit sickles than let him see me in my current nude state. She she looked at fucking the A-team there and said, I hope Tina dies. (laughs) He's like if Jerry uh, Seinfeld got stung by bees or something. I don't know. (laughs) 
So uh, she rolls over, and Jake's fucking lying next to her, completely dead. She tries to get out of bed, but someone holds her down by the throat and shoves a machete through her chest from underneath the bed below. She's got a little bunk bed. Uh, drink. And drink. All yeah, right. like Kevin Bacon. Okay. I thought that was a cool throwback. It is, and it's similar to the uh, to the death, and uh, they did another one in part two. So, all right, death number sixteen. Robin, luckily, she has a chance to apologize to Jake face to open face, and then she got Kevin Bacon. <laughs> I was uh, thinking oh, at least. I was saying this is not how uh, Jake planned on them winding up in bed together, but have goals and your dreams will come true. (laughs) F over in in the gray baby. And sometimes you can end up in bed with a girl somehow over in Violet's room. She is getting down with the newest single from pseudo echo while popping and locking some sweet moves as someone (laughs) sneaks into her bedroom. Blissfully unaware of her impending doom, Violet be- uh, continues uh, to bust out these moves when someone grabs her by the throat, pins her up against the wall, and stabs her in the guts with a machete. Drink. That's a drink. So, uh, who oh, was the band? Uh, Pseudo Echo, and it, it's the song is called uh, His Eyes. This is a great song. I love this song. Hey, Jeff's. Hum me a bar. Go ahead, uh, sing, sing me a verse from this. There's a man with no life in his eyes. Death 17. There's a chick who gets stabbed, then she dies. <laughs> I was about. Thank you. Uh, oh, that's since, good. Cincinnati Jeff, um, I was going to say, you have a really good voice, but that got lost in all of this. <laughs> in my fucking cackle. I, I love that song. That's a good Cackles song. Cackles, yeah, the cackle, not so much. A little piercing, sorry to be critical, but. Um. <laughs> I feel bad for the listeners. This is a good song, though. I love this song. The two songs Dude, that definitely catch. get uh, on heavy rotation here at the CNC Fart Factory are Pseudo Echoes, uh, His Eyes, and then uh, uh, Alice Cooper's The Man Behind the Mask. So part five and part six, respectively, have two really good Whoa. songs. Don't forget Lion, I've... Love is the Lie. Yeah, that's a feature here. <laughs> I know. I was, I was thinking, um, like, because um, Violet's supposed to be this like goth punk rock um, yeah. young woman. Yeah, she's um, great listening to funk. I was thinking, like, shouldn't this like? What about Joy Division? I think or, she's um, more new wave as, than punk. As, as little as I like, um, as little as I like the Smiths. Comment nerds, I'm right. Um, <laughs> um, as little as Even I like, whoa, whoa, whoa! The Morrissey fans are going to come out of the fucking woodwork. Yeah, well, I, I'll take listener. my chances. Um, that would have been more appropriate um, than yeah, yeah so whatever the fuck it was she was here. listening to. And also, like to rewind to a previous thing we talked about. What was Violet's mental disorder or you know, she mental illness? Stop dancing. <laughs> she, she she had danceitis where she just she if she didn't dance for at least five hours a day, she would kill someone. So they had to give her a, 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 her own private room for it. So I always thought and I thought the same thing, right? First time I'm like, oh punk girl is a weird song. But 
the more I watch it, and and like especially as the as the prints get better, like the Blu-rays and stuff like that, the the posters and stuff on her wall or correspond with her look. Not necessarily her eye makeup, but her Dude. her hair and things like that, and her outfits. I thought it it's very Adam new wave. And she I, was in charge. I know that Violet's character, uh, the actress, was very excited because she got a budget to go pick out her own wardrobe for this. Dope. So she she did her own stuff. Okay, well, good for her. Like I like that's another character I really liked. I did like Violet, and I, and I was sorry to see, I was sorry to see go. And I like that. Like it really resonated. Like the character really resonated with me because you know when I was that age, had I been in the same situation, I probably would have died. You know, listening to Cannibal Corpse or something. But yeah, um, when we we're full years old in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, don't go. Uh, yeah, fucking. Um, <laughs> not just a shake in the cold head. chamber. I like cold chamber. I still do. When's the last time you fucking heard somebody bring that up in a casual conversation? You know what I respect about cold chamber? I think they were the only of like those new metal bands to tune their guitar to C. And I know that is such a nerd reference and probably will get me mocked or most people will fast forward <laughs> this part but you know most of those like new metal bands either did drop d or detuned their guitars so much the strings were touching the pickups if anybody's so, still listening uh it's fans that are in for the long haul because this fucking episode is all over the place <laughs> yeah you know what i'm gonna shut up and quit ruining your <laughs> podcast you have the you had the kindness to bring me on it. You, you were are saying bringing, you are bringing quality. So, far. Uh, so uh, but back to the movie. Uh, Reggie, after all this, subconsciously aware that he is a black dude in a horror movie, wakes up and goes to look for Tommy to see if he's come back yet. He checks his room first and instead finds Jake, Robin, and Violet being very inappropriate and completely dead all over Tommy's bed. As Pam comes out of nowhere. That is the most action that Ben ever saw. <laughs> and asks what the fuck. Oh! He, tell, he tells her to go look in Tommy's room where she sees all the dead kids that someone's been collecting uh, before she grabs Reggie to head downstairs and make for the back door. But as soon as they get to it, our killer, an hour and eight minutes into the movie, has no finally shit. revealed himself. A very much alive Jason Voorhees burst through the door like it bullied him when he was a kid. You spoiled it, goddammit! <laughs> uh, no, his rage meter was full, and he just fucking smashed through that bitch. Uh, oh, com- sorry, I, I did want to say this because it comes up again later with Violet and then Pam. <laughs> From this point in the movie on, does anywhere does anybody wear a bra? No, nobody's worn a bra this entire movie, dude. And I'm okay with no, that. No, because Pam's definitely not wearing a bra. Joey had one. <laughs> he goes, All this chocolate milk keeps coming out of my boobs. Uh, so, uh, Jason busts in, uh, complete with bloody machete, um, but his mask and outfit are a little different from the visions that we have seen. So, Jason, that uh, every time Tommy sees Jason, he is in a an outfit very reminiscent <laughs> to what he wore at the beginning of the movie and what he wore at the end of part four, complete with a mask. Um, but this new one, he's wearing a blue jumpsuit, and his mask is is a little bit cleaner, and it's got 
blue chevrons instead of the red ones. So something is a little bit different about Jason, but nobody's taking the time to fucking take a look here. Uh, no, this we get time... fucking Jason on screen, dude. I mean, to be fair, they were too busy dying or shitting their pants in abject tear. That's what I'd be doing, but... Um... Valid point. So, like I said, we got a new mask with two blue chevrons instead of three red ones. Now, uh, JV takes a moment to count all the black kids and white women in the room before running after Reggie and Pam, who have taken off in the other direction and head out the front door and into the rain. It's just, he sees them and he just stops and, like, looks around. He's like, okay, one black kid, one white one. All right, I got this. Like, he just had to, like, like psych himself up mentally before he was just like, and on we go, back to business. And so, uh, Reggie is no longer a visitor, but a future member of this club. Yeah, no shit. You better, you better start getting comfy with that couch, Reggie. Yeah, to paraphrase Screeching Weasel, it's a real cool club, and you're now a part of it. Um. <laughs> so, so the two of them uh, run out into the rain, and they make it through the woods, and they come across the ambulance from earlier. They look to see uh, if anybody's inside that can give them some help, but all they find is Duke with a mouthful of bubblegum and a throat full of slit. And Madam Bastard got her wish. Drink. Um, <laughs> and drink. Mm-hmm. All right. Once That's again, good. dreams come true if you <laughs> set goals and work towards them. Death number 18. Duke Johnson, he came here to chew bubblegum and get his throat slit, and he's all out of bubblegum. <laughs> it is a subtle, it is a subtle thing. I, I just like when they, the when they like zoom in on him and he's dead, and it's just like that piece of bubblegum just like right there. Um, if someone's a medical professional, would the bubblegum have been able to stick out of the neck? <gasps> oh, and he blows a blood bubble? That would have been a cool effect. I mean... Clearly, this is not a movie based in realism. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if that's a bridge too far. But <laughs> so Wait, you've never Jason, been stabbed your gun, die instantly. <laughs> I'll try it. I'll try. It. I'll try anything once. I'll try again. Damn it! So as right, uh, Jason has now popped up beside them, Pam and Reggie are you in an OFT back towards Pinehurst, but they get separated. While Reggie, Pam, no, they well, get separated. Reggie's like twenty five feet in front of yeah, her. Well, yeah, well, yeah, Reggie being has polite. Yeah, he just fucking leaves her, dude. Um, he fucking which... beep, beep, he fucking Carl Lewis is straight up fucking back to the way they came. <laughs> well, and um, I hate to sound cruel and heartless, but there's a killer on the loose, and I'm cruel and heartless, and I don't have time for people's stupid bullshit. Would you say um, he's a man with no life in his eyes? No, I would say he has the right idea. Um, um, I I smoked for 10 years. Um, during all of this, I tried to start running again when I talked about my walks earlier. I made it two blocks in my mask. And where... Um, Wear your masks. I think we can all agree that's the right, right thing to Where do. Wear your motherfucking mask. Yeah, I wore. Yeah, not my hockey mask. I my, visited Nachos today to give him a birthday present, and I had my mask on. Yeah, I. Yeah, trying to run. And too, we butt fuck each other, so I, like, <laughs> I know right? as into it as you can be. I yeah, I made. I made it under. I made it under two blocks at more of a brisk walk than running, and went fuck this. Um... It's going to be long walks from here on out. 
We are way off um, of the weeds. Let's get back to the movie. Yeah, no. That said, um, I think I could break the land speed record if motivated by Jason. Hey, and it would have been. Check it out. It was, it's a candy it, bar. I'm, I'm luring you back to the story. I'm luring yeah. you back to the story. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. You were saying. Uh, so I'll be uh, over well, here fucking up your podcast if you need me. <laughs> Well, hey, that's my looking, job, goddammit. While Pam is looking for Reggie, uh, she finds Dr. Matt's dead-ass corpse nailed through the head to a tree with a railroad spike drink. So did he get in his throat slit first? Or the... Okay, anyway. I thought Death that was 19. a... Good effect. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, you, yeah you're, you're killing my bit. Um. Well... Let me get my death out real quick. Dr. Matt, he's hanging on so that tree did, like then a work we move on. Pam. He belongs in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. No, I just so I thought you. that was that was such a great like off-screen kill and great discovery. I remember jumping when I saw that and like the brutality of the spike through the forehead. It reminds me a lot of Steve Christie's death and the uh, the original Friday the Thirteenth, like when he gets gigged, but then he like swoops out of the tree later. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. So Pam runs back into the Pinehurst house to look for Reggie, but can't find him. Jason, who is apparently just you drowning at dead, Pam in dead and bodies, giant wits. <laughs> uh, so Jason, Cause... who is. If you fucking interrupt me one more time, I'm gonna fucking put my mask on, come <laughs> over there, and I'm gonna fucking hobble you. Sometimes birthdays come early. Fuck this this podcast. There's a movie playing out in front of me. Jason decides to shake things up for a bit and throws Gramps through the window at Pam. Uh, Andrew. She she sees that he is dead and missing his favorite eyeballs. Drink. Death. Yeah, and I think this is. Sorry. Sorry, Nachos. I. I deserve to die like the original Alfalfa, um, you were saying. Death number 20. Graham died doing what he loved doing. A very convincing Ray Charles impersonation. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's blind, because he couldn't see. Well, is that too bad? Moving on. This, this, soon, is the part of the, this is the part of the movie, I think, where Pam becomes full Shelley Duvall. In like Wendy from The Shining, like, but less useful. Yeah. For and all for all of uh, Michelle Duvall's faults in that movie, um, she gave one Albert Pujols crack to Jackie Boy's skull, and that's really more than Pam does from this point on. All Pam does is run down in a see-through shirt and fucking pet reggie way too hard sometimes yeah we uh, no we we noticed that also speaking of reggie is he joey now no folks um clearly headed for pinehurst um i don't think this place is gonna be open (laughs) this get the fucking track record you so why what went wrong yeah Uh, so before running back outside uh um, Jason is now in hot pursuit. Pam trips and falls, classic, uh, which allows fucking Jason to catch up to her. Nachos, you got a question? Because white bitches be tripping in these movies. Uh, uh, right, as go he ahead. goes in for the patented machete kill, 
Reggie the fucking Reckless busts through the side of a fucking barn on a tractor and drives it right into fucking Jason with the front of the bucket and knocks him fucking clear across the fucking yard and saves Pam. He made me bleed my own blood! (laughs) Alright, so what Reggie should have done is A, you got a down killer, run over him all the way, drop the bucket on his chest, and then him him and Reggie... And Pam and Reggie take turns pissing in his mask until he drowns. You know what? I'm not like that is something that drives me insane in these movies. Uh, Like when when the killer is down, um, when the unstoppable killing machine is injured, you goddamn well make sure he is dead and not coming back. My father taught me that as a young boy. And, you know, why the fuck that wisdom wasn't passed on is beyond me. But I give Reggie a pass because as an adult, I can't drive a stick shift. So oh, just no. the fact that he got that thing running and, you know, it's the 80s, delivered. Man, we're still driving standard transmissions. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so Jason now a little worse for wear because he's clearly bleeding from his abdomen, gets back up and chases the two of them into the barn. Reggie hides in some hay while Pam goes into the tool closet. And while Jason is looking for them, she comes busting out with a chainsaw all ready to go. That's so cool. Finally is not worthless in such a brief window. Yeah, this fucking chainsaw machete fight. Pam Pam gets good on Jason and fucking chops him in the fucking arm and is about to pull a fatality when she runs out of gas and so I love this fucking next part. She just fucking <laughs> throws the damn thing at him. <laughs> it's like in action movies when they're shooting at somebody and they've run out of bullets, so they throw the fucking gun at him. The it's gun. That. Well, as my father said to me when I was a young boy, when you bring a chainsaw to a machete fight, <laughs> uh, you chainsaw the living shit out of that motherfucker. You do not fight even. Like, this is not a time to play defense. I Um, love this because this is, like, the first time that we've seen a character actually successfully fight back Jason outside of a a partial wrestling or something like that. Like, she's got him on the fucking ropes. I thought Mark put up a good fight. Wasn't a foot race? And we're back. <laughs> uh, so Pam then oh, runs to Reggie get as, another Jason, email. As, as Jason gets back on his feet. But suddenly, player four has entered the game as Tommy Jarvis walks into the barn. Insert, this, insert the theme from 2001 here. <laughs> I, love, I love this, because up to this point, it's been pretty much set up that Tommy is the fucking, uh, is the, is the fucking main man here. Uh, but not so much anymore. So while Pam climbs up to the hayloft where Reggie is, Jason turns to give his attention to his old friend Tommy, who is currently stunned at the sight of him. Jason slashes Tommy across the chest while he's in this sort of like catatonic like phase uh, with the machete, which fucking snaps Tommy back to reality. And as JV goes in for the kill... Tommy pulls the pocket knife that we saw him uh, have earlier and stabs Jason in the groin. Um, All right, I got it real quick. I thought, like, I thought it was in the leg. 
So uh, the, I had to look this right. up. So the groin is is the upper thigh, uh, then the 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 uh, testicle oh, uh, private oh, d- area. Yeah, was, I was was dick. Yeah, I was thinking. Sta- well, two things I was thinking during this. First off, if you can't stab him in the you know heart, neck, or head, stab him in the dick. And he right. did not stab him in the dick. Close yeah, enough. Um, I thought, me, if you get a chance to stab somebody in the dick, you might. I mean do it. it. It drops him. Yeah, to be fair, it got the job done. And I get that he got slashed across the chest, and maybe I'm having too high of expectations for people. It's something I do, like, I I think the movie works at this point because Tommy needs medication for his hallucinations and can't quite face his fears. He just picked the worst possible time to face his fears without the medication and got one across the chest for it. That's not bad. Yeah. That's not a bad theory. No, that said, um, afterwards, when he's back in reality, where is Bones Jones and 80s Mike Tyson (laughs) and the last round of every Rocky movie ever? (laughs) You know, when someone needs to open a can of whoop ass here. All right, I'm going to say this real quick. I think Tommy, for a moment, was trying to pull that fucking Jedi mind trick shit, like at the end of part four. Remember when he bicked his head? He goes, Jason, Jason, I'm all up in your shit. And then I think that maybe that didn't transfer well because that he, well, no spoilers, but we'll get there. Uh, You know what I'm saying? I actually think that uh, Tommy staring Jason down is like, "Am, am I here or am I there? Oh, because who am any, I? <laughs> I don't know, if anyone comments, these are three theories, and I think they're all right? equally valid. Um, or, but, or we're doing the fucking movie's job for it. <laughs> so after after the uh, the groin stab here, Tommy then makes his way over to the ladder and climbs up to where Pam and Reggie are hanging out. Jason, now sick of this bullshit, after having been <laughs> hit with a tractor, cut with a chainsaw, and stabbed with a pocket knot, decides that he is going to enter the end game. That's right. As he has these three cornered, he gets he's going to get the job done. He slowly climbs up to the hayloft, which a missed opportunity here. They could have fucking been tossing hay bales down on him. Or Those kicking the ladder. Heavy. And um, um, Reggie's a kid. Tommy is bleeding out. That should have fallen on Pam. Right. He uh, As he slowly gets to the top, the other three hide from him. He spots Reggie first, but before he can kill him, uh, Pam... Uh, hits him in the back with an axe handle, and they kind of have this fucking bat, like this round two fucking fight. Where fucking she is she, swinging for the fences yeah, with that she shit. She Babe Ruth's fucking the machete out of his hand, and while Pam and Jason are dancing around with each other, Reggie fucking climbs up did some you, hay bales and fucking jumps on fucking Jason's back and knocks him out the open fucking this? loft door. He when is he the jumps, uns- he goes. He goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, Reggie is the unsung hero of this no movie. Doubt, no doubt. No so, doubt. No um, doubt. Christ, ahead. I'd be so worthless at this point in my life. Forget about when, what was Reggie? You know, two weeks <laughs> old at this point. Um, <laughs> 10, 11, some shit like that. But he's fucking, he, and he, is he jumps the, on his back. And he's integral to fucking putting the final fucking, final fucking hit on Jason here. Yeah, I mean, he is just quite the kid. It's so such a shame. He is scarred for life. 
Like he has no one. And the only, the only happy ending is a buddy cop movie that we never got with Tommy afterwards. <laughs> uh, no, he's okay, man. See, he gets adopted and he moves into the suburbs of Chicago and he hangs out with like Eddie Winslow and shit. So he's doing all right, man. He, it's a full recovery. It's okay. In, uh, witness he, he witness uh, relocation. That's right. He quit eating junk food and he fucking ended up there, man. So as Jason has now fallen out the loft door of the second the second floor of, of this barn, uh, the Pam and Reggie then go to peek over the side to see if he's fallen to his death or if he's still down there. But he hasn't. He's hanging on for dear life. And he Bad reaches idea. up <clears throat> and he tries to pull Reggie out of the door with him. Pam and Reggie fight back, which causes Tommy to fucking come to his senses and he gets up off the floor grabs the machete that Jason had dropped while fighting Pam and he fucking starts chopping Jason in the hand uh, which causes him obviously to let go of Reggie and fall to his death on a tractor harrow. He is speared several times drink. I actually don't have a death for this one. That was a is that what my beer pop sounded like? Because that was really loud. <laughs> Oh, yours was dramatic, but it was awesome. No, like yours was intense. I wish you had a like really good death to um like death pun to follow that up with. Death twenty one, oh. ouch. <laughs> death twenty one, walk it off, pussy. Uh so as Pam, Tommy, and Reggie look down from the loft, they see that Jason, uh, his mask has been knocked free, and is revealed that it actually wasn't Jason Voorhees at all, but in fact, it was Roy, the paramedic, all along, dressed up like Jason Voorhees, complete with a, a head prosthetic. What What is that hood called, Nacho? And he would have gotten it's away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> the killer was Old Man Burns. <laughs> Red herring. So, what? yeah, what is that, what is that hood called, that fucking park of things but it's just it's just called a hood that's what okay. it is like a, a skull cap skin cap skin hood i feel like when i say skin hood though it, it sounds like a condom yeah it's, it's kind of sounds a little racist i don't know i'm not okay with that so uh later on the evening at the hospital sheriff tucker confirms that not only was roy burns the killer but he was also joey's dad they find a and picture also Sheriff Tucker didn't have to do his job. (laughs) He fits in with everyone else in the goddamn movie in his defense. Hey, at least he's a nicer cop cop than anyone I ever dealt with. (laughs) So they find a picture of Joey in Roy's wallet and they surmise that after seeing Joey's dead body, Roy must have snapped and started a killing spree to help him vent. Uh, They also find uh, clippings from the newspapers about Jason Voorhees. Thank Which you. they assume me... is where he got the idea to dress like Jason. Okay, so in those clippings in the fucking wallet, where did they get that picture of Jason where he's like blo- using his hand to block out like like the paparazzi, like Jason's <laughs> leaving a strip club or something? Like, no, 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 his fucking hands in front of the It's game. like a fucking 6 a.m. Like he just got out of a fucking like buffet and he's just like, I've just been an all night bender. Like, ugh. <laughs> Yeah, they are they are definitely bad. I think I, I I that has to have been on purpose. There's no way that somebody thought that that would be a good like shot of Jason. Like it had to have been a little bit of levity in that in that situation. And then I think they kind of have what. No, that's part four anyway. So Keep going, pal. After talking to the sheriff, Pam goes to check on Tommy in the hospital room, but she's uh, when she suddenly <clears throat> sorry, but when she gets too close to him. 
Tommy stabs her in the stomach uh, with a knife as he's laying there laughing, sort of mimicking the uh, earlier deaths that we had seen uh, when Tommy was young and in the graveyard. Uh, oh. Tommy suddenly then shoots up in his bed, revealing that the uh, that that uh, the kill that he had just given to Pam uh, was just another dream, so no drink. Uh, and while but we we counted uh, Bill Paxton and um, his dumbass friend is a death. Oh, what though. the hell? Why not? Have I'll be over fun. here running your podcast for you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're twisting my arm! God damn it, you bastard! So while Tommy is sitting there uh, doing what he does best the whole movie, being sweaty and alone, he has another vision of Jason Voorhees, but this time. Uh, Tommy embraces the vision, and again, it's the, the Jason with the red chevron mask. It looks very much like the part four. Um, it's a classic. And as he embraces the vision, it disappears in front of him. It fades away, and with a possessed look in his eye, Tommy rips the IV from his arm and gets out of bed, where he finds Roy's mask in a drawer. A very odd place to keep evidence. Who the fuck? But that this has to be a dream sequence, right? As he hears, drink whenever he drink anytime someone's incompetent at their job. This goes here. What could possibly go wrong? So as Pam approaches the room, um, she uh, opens the door, or no, as she gets to the door, I'm sorry, she hears this window breaking. She bursts into Tommy's room and sees that uh, Tommy is gone from his bed, and the window has been fucking busted open. That's as we not see, what... as we see the door slowly. Close behind her, revealing Tommy wearing Roy's mask and approaching Pam with a knife in his hands, ready to strike a roll credits. I didn't have that on you mine. Just, I had, you described that perfectly. The, I I don't have that on mine. I have Tommy throws the chair through the fucking the, through the window, and then like Pam comes in the room, and then Tommy goes, "Did I sit in gum and he's holding his nutsack in a hockey mask?" <laughs> that, do I have a different version of that? Way and to that, ruin like a perfect, intense like buildup <laughs> description. Um, like if if I hadn't seen the movie, you I'd see what want I'm to watch with? it after that. You see what I'm dealing with on a fucking <laughs> stick day around, kid. Movie. I do this all the time. You had one job. <laughs> so uh, let me ruin ask you, fellas, something. You guys want to see a dead body? <laughs> oh, there's a lot of them. <laughs> so we've got 21 deaths, uh, 18 of them on screen. Uh, number one, Neil, machete to the stomach in Tommy's dream. Two, less ice pick to the neck in Tommy's dream. Got picked. Squashed. Number three, Joey, axe to death. Talk a lot. <laughs> Four, Vinny, road flare in the mouth. Flared up. Five, Pete, throat slashed with a machete. Machete. Six, Billy, axe to the head. Back of the head. Uh, Fuck you. Seven, Lana, acts to the chest. Coke eight, problem. Eight, <laughs> eight Raymond. It's gotta be the coke. Hunting knife to the stomach. Fuck that dude. <laughs> Nine, <laughs> Tina, uh, uh, cropsy death, garden shears to the eyes. Bingo titties. Ten, Eddie, head crust with a leather strap against the tree. Got squashed. Fuck that dude. <laughs> Number head 11, squashed. Anita, throat slashed. Clash. Twelve uh, demons speared through the chest while taking a shit. Wipe your butt. Thirteen junior decapitated with a meat cleaver. Ha <laughs> ha. Fourteen Ethel cleaver to the face. Fuck your mama. 
15, Jake Cleaver to the face. 16, Robin Machetti through the stomach from beneath the bed. Got baconated. Respect. Uh, number 17, Violet Machetti through the stomach. Bitch, you gotta learn to dance. 18, Duke found in the ambulance with his throat slit off screen. This bitch, you can come out. 19, Matthew railroad spike through the head uh, into a tree off screen. You belong in the museum. 20, George or Gramps, eyes gouged out, thrown through the window off screen. It's the taste of a generation. (laughs) You got the right one, baby. Uh Uh, 21, Roy Burns, impaled on a tractor harrow, got squashed. Oh, Mr. Burns. Uh, So, your favorite kill, uh, um, the House of the Phantom Bastard, you go, what was your favorite kill? Um, I think this will be everyone's Eddie. Um, he's not the most likable character. Um, it's fucking gruesome. And I think we'll talk about it a little bit later. I think that's the direction the movie had to go. So, you know, Eddie, I've never seen something like that replicated in another horror movie either. I, like this movie is very stab and throat slash happy, and of the f- you know few unique deaths, it stands out the most to me. Nacho is your favorite. Uh, kill. Buy some. You go first because I'm gonna go pee real quick. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> if you're lucky, it's your birthday because otherwise, I'd just fucking move on without you. You can't hear me because you're fucking you. You left the room. Um. So Eddie's is good. Eddie's is, I think, very unique. So that is that is a very good point. Uh, it is not mine. Mine is Tina's, uh, simply because for two reasons. One, it's iconic to me from my childhood, right? Something that that I saw very early on in my life that stuck with me. And two, it's not it's not so much that he stabbed her in the eyes. The next part of that 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 was we didn't talk about, but when we see the movie, you'll you'll know. Is he stabs her in the face with the garden shears, and then he takes the time to fucking click them together. Yeah, you, that's... you hear this crunch like he he busts the bridge of her fucking nose through with those fucking shears and everything that's in between. And when he when Eddie rolls her over, it's the same shit. It's just a it's not a stab wound. It's a fucking it's a gash because he fucking yeah. cut her. No, and in, in movies not known for their continuity, even you know within yeah. their own movies. Yeah, that was a hell of a scene. Very so, Cincinnati, yeah. uh, what did you, uh, that's that's my Tina's. number two. Tina? With, yeah, so what is yours, buddy? Nachos. Ah, fuck, man. Uh, I'll give it to Demon. It's ooh, a good icon to kill. And you get the ooh baby, smooth baby. And where else? What other movie are you going to get? Goddamn Pilates. <laughs> You know. All right. Are you guys ready for some stuff oh. you should know? Actually, yeah. and, and enlighten me. Let's do worst kills. Do the worst kills. Do we not have enough content on this fucking episode? Jesus Christ, it's gonna be like three and a half hours long. Uh, worst kill would probably uh, honestly be Raymond's. Raymond, I, I, I second that. What a it's Raymond. I, I I get body count, but what a worthless character. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, just throwaway. Yeah. So, okay, and we're back. Uh, stuff you should know. 
Corey Feldman's scenes were shot in the backyard of his neighbor's house, and the film was originally written to have Corey Feldman as the star, reprising his role of Tommy Jarvis. However, he was already working on The Goonies in 1985. Therefore, the script was rewritten to have Feldman's appearance limited to a cameo, and Tommy was then aged. Um, Melody Kinneman claims her favorite scenes in the film are the ones where she is wearing the wet, see-through t-shirt. She felt that she only looked good on film when they turned on the sprinklers. Otherwise, she felt like she looked like garbage. I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> there was originally a three-minute-long sex scene, but the MPAA forced them to cut it down to ten seconds. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Deborah Voorhees lost a teaching job later in life when the schools discovered her sex scene in the film. Ted White, who played Jason in Friday the 13th, the final chapter in 1984, stated in interviews that he was offered the opportunity to reprise the role in this sequel, but turned it down. <coughs> White also stated that he regretted that decision. Yeah, he was mad at that movie after what Joe Vito, part four and all that shit. Okay, I will like... say that, that Tom Morga, while a, a bigger dude than I am, is the probably one of the least imposing Jasons on screen. Oh, fuck your face. No, I, I was... Given what we know... He's well, gangly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll talk about that in what we But like, he does fit the profile like of Roy, and I will say that. Uh, for, for movie's sake, it makes sense. But I just... You, your favorite choices may not even be your favorite characters. Sometimes it's just the way you look. I just love the way like part three rooks. You know what? Ted White moves in part four. There's nothing about how Tom Morga hustles uh, that I particularly. There's no hustle. He's just stationary. Yeah. Uh, So uh, Tommy's opening dream uh, was different in the original script and arguably made him seem more of a suspect later on. It opens as a continuation of the ending of the previous film. Uh, as a young Tommy is taken to the same hospital as Jason's corpse, then in a sudden fit of psychotic rage, he winds up attacking half the hospital staff, trying to get to the morgue to find Jason's bloody body. Once he has finally found the body, Jason suddenly rises from the autopsy table. Immediately after this, the adult Tommy wakes up in the van en route to the Pinehurst house. With his dick in his hand. <laughs> So this is this. Now, I thought this was neat. This is the first film in the series where Jason is actually referred to by his full name, Jason. Really? Williams. In Friday the Thirteenth, right, in Part Two, and uh, in the final chapter, he is only referred to as Jason, while he is not referred to by name at all in Part Three. In part Three. Yep. So that's yeah. very cool. In her audition for the part of the over-the-top hick Ethel. Carol Locatell wore a wig gifted to her by Burt Reynolds for her time playing a prostitute in the movie Sharky's Machine, which Nacho had mentioned earlier. The New Beginning people loved it so much, especially the part where she could provide her own wig, as if that's some sort of fucking major expense. Um, uh, But that's not what she was going for, and, like... Obviously, it's like, hey, you can get me a new wig for the film, right? But they just went with it. So, unfortunately, she temporarily volunteered the wig to the makeup department in the chance that she should need it for any reshoots. And they never gave it back to her, probably just forgetting that it was her personal property and not a prop for the movie. And she never no, gets it back. Because Paramount's a bunch of dick bags. How Over a that? wig. Bert gave me a wig. Bert yeah. motherfucking Reynolds gave me a wig. Ugh, whatever. Yeah, the bandit gave me a wig. 
right. right. Uh, so, uh, last one here is Violet was originally going to be stabbed in the vagina and not the stomach. Uh, That's right. This was later changed to the fact that the director knew the MPA would most likely remove the kill. Originally, instead of dancing, Violet was going to be exercising in her room, and Roy would cut her crotch up. They did film this, and you can find stills of Violet in the bloody makeup at her at her crotch. Um, so uh, they it's in my book. Yeah, the, yeah. Have Chris yeah. like memories. I, I rarely say this, but that's a bridge too far. Maybe shut up, know. you fans. <laughs> Um, so, uh, we are now at our, uh, final thoughts, final cuts. Uh, so guests always go first. Uh, so Phantom Bastard, what did you like about the movie? What didn't you like about the movie? And what would you rate it on a scale of one to 10? Go. Um, I really think, um, cause I know you love this movie as much as I do and you've wanted to do it and, uh, Nachos, um, dislikes the movie you know, more than we do because he's a member of ISIS. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to, I'm really am glad to defer to you. And, um, cause I think I've also criticized this movie a lot and I really do love it. Um, I love it in spite of the flaws. So if you two want to go first on this, you know, and then I'll pick up any points, um, you don't Nachos. have cause, Go ahead, take it away, buddy. Okay. Uh, let me make sure I have this right. Oh, here it is. Final thoughts. Okay, so pretty much there are two, two schools of thought of this movie. Number one, the people who don't really understand this movie and get upset because Jason wasn't the killer and her stupid babies who eat their own shit like morons. <clears throat> Fun fact, Jason's mom was the killer in the original Friday the 13th. What's the big fucking deal? Two, people who are Friday the 13th ride-or-die motherfuckers who don't care about Roy being the killer, who have giant wieners or super tight pussies, who enjoy this movie and respect it for being underrated underdogs in the 80s slasher genre. The second one's the correct answer. (laughs) This movie brings us some fun death, fun deaths and gore, and it's the highest booby count out of any of the Friday the 13th series. So many boobies in this movie that um, part six doesn't have any boobies at all, whatsoever, altogether. No nudity. Why did I read that like a Trump tweet? I kind of want to put a gun in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much what I'm getting at. No nudity. So good. No, no, no nudity at all. Ask anyone. It has the least amount of nudity. You can check my name. Oh, my the God. Least. Check with anyone. All right. So this movie's fun because... It's the textbook example of an 80s slasher film. Oh, and Harry Manfredini does the soundtrack and it fucking rules. I think the only thing this movie is guilty of, it starts the introduction of the paint-by-numbers disposable teen fodder, um, you know, character trope. Like, we we have, like, this is the last movie with that. Like, so one through five. You have characters, you have development. After this movie, I quit rooting for the kids, and I start rooting for Jason. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, right? I'm not trying to nitpick this movie. Or, all right, um, wait, wait. Hold up, let me read that. Okay, I'm not trying to nitpick this movie or anything, but this is the only thing that never sat right with me. So, if 
Roy dons the goalie mask to re vengeance on the kids at Pinehurst uh, for the death of his beloved son, Joey. Then why didn't he go after Victor? He's in police custody. Yeah. You got to go through a lot of armed dudes to get through, to get to Vic. Uh, whereas you just get unsuspecting teenagers. Cincinnati, Jeff, how competent was the police force in this film? A 13 year old black kid, some dopey white chick and some half psychotic kid did more than the fucking police force. Okay. Um, other than that tiny hiccup, I give this movie 9.5 out of 10 goddamn enchiladas. <laughs> Good one. Uh, so I have a lot to say on this. So, uh, fellas, strap in. You listeners, uh, strap in as well. Man, we are going to hit like fucking three hours on this episode. <clears throat> so this is my favorite Friday the 13th movie. Um, we have the most depths up to this point in the series and for several films to follow until it goes to hell. And this is one of the more graphic movies as well, both in terms of blood and sex. The movie gets a bad rap for several reasons, with the most common being that this isn't Jason. Uh, this is a whodunit mystery movie, and, well, many people are saying that it doesn't make sense as there are no clues as to who the kill, the real killer might be. Uh, guess what? Unless you are a fucking psychic or had the script beforehand, I'm 100% damn sure that you did not know that Pamela Voorhees was the original killer in Friday the 13th, so fuck you. The other reason is due to the director himself. Many fans note that Danny Steinman was a porn director who then got a chance to direct a Friday the 13th movie. And this couldn't be farther from the truth. Yes, he did direct an adult film in 1973 called High Rise. And according to an interview that Danny gave, after seeing the success of Deep Throat, Danny decided that he... Uh, with the mix of culture of men and women being able to view a full-length adult movie in a theater, this was something that was worth noting financially, and he went to invest in it. So he came up with an entire idea for High Rise. He was, wasn't some director. He came up with the whole fucking thing. <clears throat> Along with the story, he worked out all the financing himself and got all the backers. Um, so he No shit. Yep. So he wasn't just some greasy guy in a small apartment room with bad lighting and a couch. He wanted to make the next Deep Throat, which at the time was not the seedy Brazzers crap that you that the world has come to know for fucking porn. It hey, don't hit on Brazzers. It 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 had a statement and it was important. And just uh, to make mention of it, Danny Steinman was not the only famous director to get their start in porn. Wes Craven has admitted many times on camera that he got his start in the film business while directing many hardcore X-rated films under different pseudonyms before directing Last House on the Left and Sean Cunningham, who worked with Craven on one adult film, Central Paradise, also served as the director of the 1971 porno film Together. So be sure to check the resume of some of your favorite fucking directors before you start casting stones at some of your least favorite. And that shit pisses me off. With that out yeah, of the way, yeah. documentaries like His Name is Jason uh, and Camp Crystal Lake Memories also help paint Danny Steinman as a director who was hard to work with or worse. Now, I wasn't there and you weren't there, so all I have to go with are the words and stories of these individuals who were there. 
We can take those at face value, but you must remember that not everyone is going to get along no matter what. Actress Melanie Kinnaman said that, that her and director Danny Steinman did not get along during the making of this film. Kinnaman claims that Steinman was hostile and unapproachable as a director. So, of course, she is going to paint him in a negative light. According to, to the director Danny Steinman himself and co-stars Shavar Ross, Dominic Brasilla, and Debussy Voorhees, there were few minor problems while filming, such as lead actor John Shepard being standoffish during the shoot, a malfunctioning rain machine that held up the filming of the finale, and makeup effects having to be cut and reworked during editing after Paramount deemed them subpar. But production otherwise wasn't too problematic. On the other hand, John Shepard himself, lead actress Melanie Kinnaman, and co-star Dick Weand, and stuntman Tom Morga have alleged that Steinman spent most of the shoot binging on cocaine and veered between being verbally abusive to most of the cast and so high off his ass that the cinematographer had to direct certain scenes only cleaning up his act on the days when Ross's mother was on set. Steinman was also a, uh, uh, shot a couple of very graphic sex scenes, one which was cut entirely while the other being edited down to only about 10 seconds to look like a Pepsi commercial. <clears throat> Wean later theorized that Steinman filmed these scenes so that the MPAA would insist on cutting them and let the gore go uncensored, only for this plan to backfire when Paramount, ended up cutting the gore and the sex scenes out before ever even submitting it to the MPAA. And on that note, I wanted to read a blurb from the interview with Danny Steinman that he gave to Jeff Kramer for the Stone Cold Crazy blog. Uh, as principal photography ended, I was given a beautiful copy of the Jason mask on which the cast and crew signed their names and with lovely messages. I gave everyone a clock radio and Frank Mancuso gave them each a hundred dollar bonus. This was not a trouble production. The cast and I got along well in Camp Crystal Lake memories. I was described as paranoid, tense, out of control, sex pervert with a cocaine addict, desperate, crude, incompetent, and an asshole with no talent. Some people like the movie, believe it or not. Some people hate it. But there's no way it would retain this amount of controversy or interest if the director was basically a madman. The two films I have done prior to Friday 5 have both gotten away from me, and I was not going to let Friday be another casualty. I have many faults, too many probably, but when I work on a film, I gave it my all, and I expected the people working with me to do the same. The interview itself is by Jeff Kramer, who runs a blog called Stone Cold Crazy. It's a damn good interview. Uh, very candid with Danny Steinman. It's well worth the 30 minutes to take it and read it and digest it, so do yourself a favor. Sorry, fellas, I'm wrapping it up here. Um, Jeff, you got so, to breathe. Basically, I, just, I have a lot here, and I'm very passionate about this subject. My point is that the movie and its director are judged harshly and unfairly, in my opinion, to the point that the movie is rated one of the worst in the history of this franchise which I feel many later entries actually hold that title much easier, and I'm not sure what people wanted. Did you get to see a lot of, a lot of dead bodies? Yep. Did you get to see a lot of boobies? Yep. Uh, was the cast likable and the killer competent, and many of the kills original to the point where they stand out? For the most part, yeah. For, for on par from every the other ones. So... Other than the whole, it wasn't Jason argument, I can't understand why this stands as the black sheep of the franchise. Beyond the argument of the first film in the franchise, Jason is not only in 95%, uh, or Jason is not really in 95% of Ghost to Hell. So, what's the fucking deal with this one? If the movie had been made exactly 
the same way, but the costume of the killer had been replaced. It would go down as one of the great unsung heroes of the 80s, along with My Bloody Valentine and April Fool's Day. I concur. As, at best, you have what I consider a fantastic slasher movie and a great Friday the 13th movie. Is it perfect? No. John Shepard is supposed to be 16, but looks 30. I get that, but guess what? The first four have their flaws as well. At worst, you get a competent side story horror movie that only furthers the mythos of Jason Voorhees and what damage he did to Tommy Tommy Jarvis's psyche, which helps make him such a strong contender uh, when he stands up to Jason in part six. And before I end this, yes, I know the ending is a little confusing, but Paramount wanted this to be the start of a new trilogy with Tommy as the killer, but decided to retcon it after the crowd disliked the whole setup and missed their lumpy killer. I give this a 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 enchiladas. No, but tell me how you really feel. Sorry. I, like I said, man, I wrote like three pages on my fucking final thoughts. I'm very passionate about this, and I hate all the negative stigma that this gets. No one judges it on the fact that it's uh, maybe not the best Are you horror movie. Final just, they thoughts judge on your final thought? Bullshit. Sorry? Go ahead. Okay. Random bastard, so, go. All right. Yeah, volunteering to let you two go first after we'd been drinking was a mistake. So um, I really like this movie. I'm surprised. I think I rate it lower than the two of you. Um, and I love this movie. Um, I'd give it eight out of ten blue crescents. Um, <laughs> so... It's a flawed movie. I think we've all said that, but it's what you make of it. And I divide the Friday the 13th movies up into three eras. There's parts one through four. And I love this movie, but to be fair, I think most people could and would argue you should have ended it at part four or done a reboot then. And all of those movies, you can make a legit argument for what the best one is. Um, The second era is part five to Jason doesn't appear in a Jason movie. And um, of those, this is bar none the best. And the third era from Freddy versus Jason to the reboot, I think you can make a legit argument over which one is the best. Um, This is the only one from each era that clearly stands out above and beyond its peers, but it's what you make of it. And we've talked about its flaws. I've been bad about that, and I've been a little more negative than I meant to be, but it's what you make of it. And I think the biggest flaws, you have to know what was going on with the franchise, and it's more missed opportunities, like how we talked about how that just came out of nowhere where Vic um, offs Joey and then he's put in a police cruiser and left out. Um, why is there not a showdown between two stone cold killers later on? Not, if not this movie, the next one, um, you know, the lack of the guards that we talked about, um, you know, that was a missed opportunity, but I don't think it's a fundamental flaw with the movie. You know, that's something I would have done differently. So for what they did right, 
first off, like we mentioned it earlier, um, continuity and then consequences. Um, this movie brought consequences from the previous movie into the next movie, like particularly the PTSD that uh, Tommy was suffering. Um, like the best television shows and the best movie franchises, they carry things from an episode, one episode to the next or one movie to the next. And this is one thing I thought they did perfectly and from what I've read, the guy who played Tommy did not like the fact that it was a Friday the 13th movie and he put the effort into it. But I thought he played a PTSD victim very accurately and convincingly. I should say convincingly. I don't know how <laughs> accurately it is, to be fair. So, you know, they brought the idea of consequences and continuity um, Nachos also got me into comic books, and comic books do a good job of portraying that from one episode to the next. So next up, um, something that really suffers in the sequels, like, let's just keep coming back to this area where there's an unhinged killer. What could possibly go wrong? I don't know if I'd pull um, up that thread, because you get, like, uh, seven more movies that do the exact same thing. <laughs> I Well, they do it in a different way, as opposed to, let's hang out and have sex and get... Uh, the next Everyone's trying... <laughs> Wait, are we hanging out and sex? Because I thought that was going to be a Patreon episode. <laughs> no, they're... Um, you know, they're trying to do something different with the location and put the, uh, you know, and put the halfway house there. So just some originality in the, I don't know if that's a word and I've been drinking, probably made that it's one a up. Real thing, a couple original thoughts into this franchise that, to be fair, sorely lacks it. And the next thing I think this one does better than any other movies in, you know, what I call the second era. All right. At this point, the idea quit being scary. Yeah, it's would you agree it's you quit rooting for the teens and you start rooting for Jason at this point? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. so you can't make the movie scary at this point, which I don't think the original like the first era gets enough credit for man there's um, some shit there though sorry you're good go ahead <clears throat> i don't think the original um era gets enough credit for that because it did take a it did borrow a lot from halloween but i think before halloween did and maybe cincinnati jeff or you could um fact check me on this i think it was the first one to put a supernatural element to it and it's this undead character instead of pure evil. Well, I think at some point, you know, I mean, Halloween or uh, Friday the 13th borrowed from Halloween. But I think at some point, Halloween starts borrowing from the later Friday the 13th. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that, too. So you can't really be scary at this point if it's been this undead killer for a long time. And it's hard to build suspense if you're, you know... 
you are following the formula that the other movies have done. So they did try to take some chances and do things that other movies hadn't. Like, we're not going to have, you know, the summer camp here or a bunch of partying teens. It's going to be a halfway house. There's a lot of dark humor in this movie. Well, honestly, I think at this point, we've only exclusively just had any uh, camp-related things. I mean, with the exception of Higgins Haven, which was, um, I don't want to call it a flop house. You think like a, I don't know, maybe like a rental, not rental property, like um, your staycation home kind of shit. I I just feel this one's different. It's the halfway house. I mean, yes, it has the typical tropes of... Well, shit, they all do. You know, 80 slashers kids, but... Um, it does something to change up the setting and throw a little originality into the movie. Also, yeah, I, um, think, I know I this is like a really too. minor thing. Um, I know everyone, oh, it's not Jason. It's a dude oh. in a hockey mask killing people. Aside from the reboot uh, with uh, the preppy douchebag boyfriend, I believe his name was Trent. It, it was Trent. I think it's that's the only. The it's the only kill in a movie, you know, of a disposable teen that wasn't from Jason. When Vic offs Joey, so just trying to throw some more original um, ideas into the movie. Well, if we're playing so, devil's advocate, oh, go, go ahead, Glams. No, you're good. That's all you, pal. Yeah. At the end of the day, I didn't have the brains to write this out like Cincinnati Jeff. I'm just ad-libbing this and going off bullet points. Um, it brings the best parts of Part 3 to me, because there were characters in Part 3 I legitimately cared about. Shelly? You know, Shelly, the um, awkward, you know, curly-haired, you know, nerdish guy. Um, I related to that from my high school days. Um, Respect. You know, you know, Andy, you know, the guy who was trying to be funny and goofy and social and would walk on his hands, but, um, you know, has underlying problems, too. Like, these were characters I cared about. And from part six on, I didn't care who lived and died. I was rooting for Jason. I get about one character I root about or, you know, kind of kind of care about. And the rest is just like... To the, to the dungeon with them. Yeah. And so it brings those characters from part three I cared about into just the insanity and fun and mindless killing of part four. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's a great way to kick off the second era, but after that, I think it's all rapidly downhill. Uh, you're not wrong, man. I, I, I as a, Huge Friday the 13th fan. I hate to admit it, but I mean, I love them all like they're my bastard children, but I mean, well, not just make werewolf definitely has his favorites, you know, but don't so, tell him I said that. So Maynard, uh, what would you, what would you rate this at? Um, eight out of 10 blue crescents. Okay. All right. Well, on that note, uh, sir, uh, cheers to you for joining us this evening. Uh, we definitely, 
Well, we got into the weeds on a lot of different stuff. This is uh, going to be definitely the longest episode we've ever done, but I appreciate it. We had a lot of thoughts here, a lot of strong feelings, at least coming from the two of us, very talented gentlemen, and then, of course, um, Nachos McGuero there. Uh, so, so Happy the birthday, you... motherfucker. Oh, oh thanks, pal. <laughs> uh, um, I'll go ahead and raise up for your boy. Yeah. For me. That's right. That's big, a... up, big up to Brooklyn. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Um, Thanks for being a part of it, Phantom Master. Yeah, dude. um, Always a pleasure. And, um, yeah, Nachos knows um, I will insult him at any given opportunity. Y'all run a great podcast. Ah, shut up, Bottle. It's just okay. It's it's 90% me. (laughs) I agree. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I could not do this without uh, without Nachos McGrowell. That's 100% the truth. Um, no, cool. Thank you for doing this, um, especially say, yeah, now while we're, it. you know, while we're all on lockdown. You know, it's at least helped me, like, you know, find new movies, rediscover old ones. And, yeah, you do a great job of it. I hope I didn't fuck up your podcast too badly. I don't think you have to worry no, about dude, it. You, you, <laughs> you say that now. I fuck it up all the time. Let's wrap this shit up so I can go take shots and get real drunk now. That's and right. Fuck, so, oh, um, uh, we are at a bit of a crossroads at the Here Comes a Spooky podcast for upcoming content. Um, we are looking to do our next movie. I'm not even going to drop a subtle hint. We're looking to do Project Metal Beast because Nacho won't shut Project the fuck up about Metal it. Uh, and then after that, um, I have I have a little My. Cincinnati on the way. Cincinnati, uh, uh, a little baby Cincinnati girl. A little uh, skyline. That's due, that's due in a couple of weeks. So Cincinnati Jess. Cincinnati Jess. Good one. The bad, House of the Phantom Bastard coming out of left field. Maybe we keep you around for a couple episodes. We'll see how so, that goes. Uh, um, there may be and a little hiatus, but uh, and that's how we got a seven-hour episode about brain scan. <laughs> so thanks oh, for checking us I'll out. Watch your brain scan. Shut up. <laughs> thanks for checking us out. Uh, oh, you can always yeah. find us on Twitter and Facebook at Here Comes Spooky, uh, at uh, Instagram at Here Comes the Spooky. We've got uh, some episodes up on YouTube right now. Uh, no camera work; it's just still images. It's not the best, but if you prefer for some reason to get your audio there, you can find us on YouTube. Um, there is also email us at Here Comes the Spooky at gmail dot com. And so we appreciate everybody coming on. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for checking us out. And remember to always. One, a two, a three. Stay Stay spooky! spooky!